Welcome to the 101st episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on October 14th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How you doing, Corey? You know, we have officially fucked the show continuity because technically, if we want to be real technical, this is the 102nd episode of the show, but because we had 100 part one and 100 part two, this is episode 101, but it's really the 102nd time we've sat down to record, and I'm going to think about this for the rest of my life every time we record now. Well, if you want to get even more technical, if you go all the way back to when we started the show, okay. we originally launched with like an inaugural episode, but it wasn't even really like a numbered episode. It was kind of oh like a Oh my God, it was episode. episode zero, wasn't it? So this is technically <sighs> like the 103rd episode if you want to get real specific oh, about it. Oh, no. Oh, man. I thought I was in like a downward spiral a minute ago and you just made it way worse. I was just going to say to make it worse for you. <laughs> well, we will we will get you some medication. We'll get you some warm tea and a shawl and we will settle you down and we will proceed as planned with the show. <laughs> All right. I can get behind that. Okay, good, good, good. All right, folks. Uh, before we jump into the games chat, just a quick reminder that we have our usual banter segment that comes after the show. Today is kind of a doozy. Uh, we have a number of things to discuss, like Target, one of our Target. favorite stores. We talk about movies and a very requested special guest star, my son Whitaker, comes back with more game reviews. That is at the very end of the banter. So if you want to hear more from us that's not necessarily game related and you don't mind a little rambling, ranting and raving, please stay tuned after the closing music for the extra content. But now let's get right to what you came for. The games chat. No, and no, 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 no. Let's not get to games yet. No, let's not get to games. What are we no, doing? What are we going to get to? I, this is the last. This isn't really a surprise. I just want to say, um, I don't think we would be doing it justice uh, if we didn't take a second to thank everybody for the um, support of the last episode. Yeah, absolutely. We got very wonderful comments, very wonderful feedback on the surprise guest stars, which opened the show last time, which I thought was amazing. I mean, I was really glad we did that. I think we should probably do that again. I think we should do it again, too. I don't know. I kept every time we got a comment, because like we, there were a lot of people that were really thrilled with Patrick and Gina being on the show and taking time out of their day and doing something that they weren't comfortable with on a normal basis to chat on the show. And every time we got a comment, uh, I would show it to Patrick and be like, see, see, people like you. They want you to come back on the show. So we should uh, try to do that again. I was doing the exact same thing with Gina because she was really hesitant to come on the show. I don't know about Patrick, but she was like, no, no, no. And I had to really twist her arm to get her on the show. Not literally, because we don't do that here. Like in a theoretical, you know, like metaphysical, uh, intellectual sense. No actual arm twisting. But I really had to get her. I really had to work on her to come on the show. But I'm really glad she did. I thought she did amazing. It was so great to hear that segment. It was awesome to hear Patrick. That was really nice. Because we rarely hear from Patrick. Like... Every once in a while, he'll, like, cough in the background, and that's all we ever get from him. I, it was great to get more from Patrick, so I would, I would love to do that again. So if the, if the listeners like it and they want another spouse section, I think we could probably make that happen. I like that idea. All right, all right. I, I'm down. I'm down. So let us go ahead and uh, move forward with games discussion. And uh, we will bring this up again, but we're going to do our best to mention the name of the game before we talk about it. 
and after we talk about it, and there is a reason for that, so we'll get to that. But for right now, uh, Corey, very excited, very, very excited to hear you talk about the game that you're about to talk about, Judge, but it's actually spelled J-Y-D-J-E for no probably particular reason other than like search engine optimization and to make it stand out a little bit from other stuff that you would get caught up in in Google. Uh, so Judge, I talked about this a while ago. I loved it, um, but I will not steal your time. Please mm-hmm. give us a brief recap. It's been a while. Why don't you tell us again what it's about, where you're playing it, and what the hell is the story? Well, I originally heard of this game because I had seen it on uh, PSN sale because it's one of those games that I feel like goes on a PSN sale on PS4 about every two weeks, although I say that now and I haven't seen it on sale on PSN since you talked about it like a month ago or something, so this is all just like in my head, but um, every time I see it on PSN sale, I look at the game, I look at screenshots, and I think to myself, I don't think this is going to be my kind of game, because it looks like a kind of like a Hotline Miami, like top-down, like shooter thing, um, which is weird, because I like Hotline Miami. I'm not in love with it, but I like it, and you talked about it on the show about a month ago, and sang its praises from the rooftops, and what you were talking about it made it sound, it kind of affirmed maybe my suspicions that I might like it, so... I kept my eye open for a sale. I bought it on Switch. I've actually been playing it on Nintendo Switch. And I have played it in portable mode, and I have played it on TV mode. So I have, like, a little bit of... um, I've played it both ways. Uh, I guess it's probably... I could play it on tabletop mode where I take the controllers off, but I have not done that. Um, But uh, Judge is a... It's kind of an isometric uh, third-person shooter. Kind of like a twin-stick shooter, kind of. Um... Very similar gameplay to Hotline Miami um, or games of that ilk, uh, where you play. It's very short, compressed stages. I can't remember how many there are. There's like 20 or so, where you play as a guy, a judge, if you will, um, who has this ridiculous-looking shotgun, machine gun thing that looks like a gavel, which, you know, is in keeping with the game's theme. It's very much like a... I mean, it's kind of like a Judge Dread kind of thing, which makes sense because it's called Judge, but it just kind of has that look and feel to it, that kind of futuristic, like, neon look. Um, I also didn't realize it until I started this game, but apparently this game belongs to the universe of another game called Neon Chrome, which is a game I have not played, but it is also a game that I see on sale on the PlayStation Network a lot. So apparently this is like a universe of games now. Um But it's a third-person, kind of a twin-stick, isometric shooter. Every level you have gives you three um, objectives to clear. You only have to clear the first one in order to exit the level. But if you clear the other two, you can get, like, bonuses and more money and stuff. So usually, more often than not, an objective will be, like, kill all the bad guys or save the hostages or uh, gather all the intel. And there will be, like, four folders of intel in the area. But the name of the game is mostly shooting. And the secondary thing is a lot of character customization and upgrades because you start with no special skills. You just have like a machine gun and that's it. But as you play through it and as you <clears throat> unlock more objectives, you get different firing types. Like you start with a machine gun, you can get a shotgun, you can get like these like plasma bullets, you can get an ion shooter thing that sort of like does. Um, splash damage, it kind of like chains attacks to enemies because it's like an electrical field kind of thing. You can get like a sniper type gun that does like really heavy damage, but it doesn't shoot very quickly. Um, different weapons have different ranges. You can also upgrade the damage for every a weapon type as you get it. 
You can upgrade your gun in three different ways beyond that. You have a sub-weapon you can use, um, which is like a missile launcher, or you can get a grenade or a mine. Like, as you, uh, as you uh, complete more objectives in the game, you unlock more of the stuff. And you can also get um, other upgrades for your gun. Like, you can do um, one that lets the gun shoot faster, or you can do one where every time you reload it shoots this like plasma beams like at 360 degrees around you or just stuff like that. Um, or faster reload speed or something, uh, so- something of, of those types. And then beyond that, you have cybernetic upgrades to your body uh, and like little buffs that you can do where you have four slots and you pay for it. You start with one unlocked and you, I think you pay to unlock the other three. And those are general buffs. Like some of them are like shields, like a regenerating shield, or one of them makes you smaller, which I haven't found the benefit of that yet. But um, one of them gives you like a little bot, like kind of like a drone, like sentry drone that follows you around that shoots lasers. Um, There's another drone that shoots machine gun ammo. Um, It's just like little buffs like that, um, just little things. There's one, there's a hacking tool you can use that lets you unlock boxes in the area to get more treasure that are locked or to hack doors. Um, But you had said, and this is kind of the thing that drew me in, because this looks like a really hard game, but the thing that you said that uh, whenever you were talking about it that really interested me was that the game... Like, you die a lot in the game, or at least I died a lot in the game. It's pretty easy to get killed. You can't take... You can take some damage, but not a lot of damage, and only a handful of levels have um, health kits in them, or they're these little, like, robots that you can go up and heal at, I think, once uh, per level, but not every level has them. Um, But the thing that I thought was fascinating that kind of drew me in that you said was certain things that you do in the levels kind of save your progress, and even if you die in a level, you still make money from it. So there are keys you can pick up in certain levels to coincide with colored doors. Like there's a red key for red door, yellow for yellow door, and that kind of thing. If you unlock the door, even if you die, the door remains open, which is cool. Um, There are some levels that have like boss type characters that have names and they have generally different weapons and like harder, uh, more aggressive weapons and more health. And sometimes, uh, depending on what who they are, if you kill them, even if you die or even if you finish the level, they remain dead. The the more times you go in, they never like regenerate. Um, so that sort of like levity was something that got me interested because this game could have very easily been a Hotline Miami where, if you die, you start all the way over. You have no no, no progress that you made uh, actually stayed there. But this gives you a little bit of progress. Even if you die, you still keep your money. You still keep the unlocked doors. The boss characters are still dead. And every time you finish a level, you unlock a harder version of the level with different objectives. And there's three difficulty levels per level. That doesn't sound very good. Um, But, you know, the first one, say you go into a mission and the objectives are kill all the bad guys, save all the hostages, um, don't take any damage. Uh, And then the second one, the enemies will be harder. The boss characters will be in a different layout. And you'll have different objectives like, um, I don't know, like don't get spotted, um, melee only, just like weird. And some of them are um, a lot easier than others. Like kill all the enemies is a pretty easy one because you generally would do that anyway. Um, Or like loot all the containers, like stuff like that. And I mean, basically that's what it is. Like you just go through all these different boards, you do the objectives, you upgrade, you can test different weapons and different cybernetic upgrade layouts to see what works best in combination for you. You can swap them out if you die between missions. Um, the game's pretty good about if you die, getting you back into the action really quickly and offering you the opportunity to swap your upgrades or purchase new ones between missions if you die. 
Um, am I leaving anything out? How was that summary? No, I mean, this sounds really good so far. I mean, I think um, one of the key things that I really took away, which I was going to ask you about, was the thing that I liked. I mean, the progress being permanent was huge. I mean, that to me, like, really saved the game, because if that wasn't true, I'm not sure that I would have stuck with it. But by being able to, like, slowly work your way through a level, like, it, like even if you only kill one guy, if you kill one of the little boss characters, he's not there the next time. So you made, like, some progress. It makes it a little bit easier and eventually you can really get through it. But uh, apart from that being key, the thing that I really liked was like the flexibility of changing your loadout. So I guess I really want to ask you, in the beginning, you don't have much, which is, you know, no problem. You just have to unlock some stuff as you go. But I'm guess I'm curious, what have you unlocked so far that you've really liked? Have you noticed it changing your playstyle? Have you noticed it um, affecting your enjoyment of the game? Like, tell, tell us about like how the flexibility of this robot or Android or whatever like all these different things that you unlock, like how is that working for you? Well, I actually have to hand it a little bit to Patrick, oddly enough, because I was playing through some levels and I was getting frustrated. And I think I like got up to just like go to the bathroom or something. Um, and Patrick started playing it. He was like, hey, will this like erase any of your progress if I play it? And I was like, no, you can play it. And so he played it for a few minutes. And, uh, and he actually ended up buying a few things that, aided me greatly in the gameplay. Uh, oh, really? Okay, yeah, let's hear about that. Well, I'm because I'm the kind of guy where if you give me a game, and I feel like every game has them these days, if you give me a game that has upgradable weapons or a skill tree or stuff like that, I tend to not buy things until I feel like I absolutely need them. Like, I'm not... Like, in Deus Ex, for example, I'll have, like... 15 Praxis kits in my inventory. And I'm like, well, I don't really like need a higher jump right now. So I'm not going to buy it. Like, unless I'm like dying a bunch or there's like some area where I absolutely cannot traverse unless I buy an upgrade, I tend to just save my points until I need them. And that kind of bit me in the ass a little bit and judge because I wasn't really sure what some of the upgrades would do or if they would benefit. And there are upgrades that I think are bullshit in the game that don't really do a whole lot to help you, but they're few and far between. Um, but I took a break. Patrick was playing it. And he bought um, the ion gun that shoots. And I think uh, he bought, I don't remember if he bought it or not. But, um, oh, yeah, he bought the one, the cybernetic upgrade, the leech killing one, where every time you kill someone, it gives you, like, 10 points to your health back. So it was a really good combo because he the he bought the ion gun. And this is the one where it kind of shoots kind of almost like electrical orbs and they chain damage on enemies. So if you have a big group of enemies and you shoot like one orb, it'll basically damage a bunch of enemies right there together. So I was rolling with the ion gun and he upgraded the damage on it a bunch. So it was doing pretty good damage. Um, and it was able to shoot big crowds at the same time, which was helpful because if enemies see you, they tend to chase after you. So you can just kind of like run backwards and keep shooting to the crowd and the shots will damage everybody in the crowd. Um, I was using that with the leech killing. Um, I think I was using a high fire rate upgrade on my gun. I usually always take the laser drone with me because it works on its own and damages enemies. I mean, it can die. It can blow up if enemies, if it takes too much damage. But it's really nice because it's basically like having kind of like a second player with you almost. Um, kind of like how you were talking about Risk of Rain last week. It's similar, I, I expect, in this game where you have a little drone and it basically just shoots enemies for you, which is always nice. I wish that there were an upgrade to let the drone like heal itself, but I don't think there is one, at least not that I've seen so far. Because um, once it dies, it dies. And usually like 
it'll die before you get to a big boss in the level. So it kind of like, it's kind of useless after that. Um, so those are a few of the ones that I was rolling with pretty regularly. I like the missile launcher for the secondary weapon on the gun. Patrick bought like a big ion orb thing that kind of shoots like a giant sort of like ion circle that goes forward and it damages a pretty big amount of enemies if they're all grouped together, um, which I thought was okay. I like to take the hacking tools so that I can get uh, hack treasure chests because those generally the ones you hack give you a lot more money than the ones you don't hack. Right. right. Um, well, this I, is interesting because you're what you're describing totally different than what my experience was, in the oh. game world, which I think is what is really cool about this game because I don't know that we, I mean I I really don't want to undersell this, but like the the options in this game is really what makes it good because it's not just a top down shooter, but you have so much shit. Like, you have the drones, which I, th- I thought the drones were really cool. You can have up to, I think, three drones with you. And if you, like, change your tactics so that you're kind of, like, protecting the drones rather than protecting yourself, you can actually use them to, like, really wreck, like, an entire level. <laughs> so you can do that, which is really fun. But also, I really got into... Uh, I never used the ion weapons, not even once. So, like, hearing you talk about the ion weapons is pretty cool. I never used the life drain weapon. So, like, hearing you talk about that is also interesting. And giving me some ideas, but I never use the things at all, like not at all. Um, I I got really into um, a lot of the sniping, a lot of the sniper weapons, and a lot of the stuff that let you broke through walls. So like, I would kind of like position, like break through walls, get myself in a good spot, and just like snipe from like a million miles away, which I thought oh. was really cool. See, I've never done that, so this is now giving me oh, ideas yeah, on what to do. See. So then the thing, did you get the upgrade where it turns you invisible if you stand still? Uh, I have I have the option to buy it, but I have not purchased it. Oh my god, that was my fucking go-to for so <laughs> many levels. Where like, you would get into a situation that you would just be fucking overwhelmed, and like, all you have to do, like, if you get like in a real big batch of trouble, is like just stand still and stop moving, and then all of a sudden like enemies <laughs> lose you and oh, they can't wow. see you like as long as you hold still. So like, you can get into some really like crazy places by just like stealthily walking in or like going through the back way, like break through a wall and go around, like, an enemy's route so they don't see you, and then, like, hold still. You could be standing, like, in the middle of fucking plain sight, and as long as you're not moving, they can't see you. And as soon as they turn their back, you just fucking wreck shit. Like, it's amazing. Like, there's so many, like, little things. There's also one that turns you invisible where you're in shadow. So if you turn on shadow invisibility plus um, immobility invisibility, you're, like, you can get through, like, 75% of level, like, nobody's seeing you at all. And then combine that with um, the mod that lets your bullets go through walls, and you can snipe guys from, like... From, like, basically anywhere in the level and, like, pick them off, like, one by one. Like, it's really super satisfying. So, it sounds like we had, like, wildly different experiences, but both positive experiences, right? Well, I have some reservations about this game okay. I put on okay. the table. Let's do um, it. Uh, however, hearing you talk about this is really fascinating because a lot of the... Like, uh, and this is something I want to talk about. Uh, some of the challenges in the levels are the optional objectives you can do. Like, I thought were kind of bullshit, Um Every once in a while, because there are a lot. And to be clear, some of the same objectives pop up in several different levels. So, like, you'll see the kill all enemies objective probably in, like, half the levels or the um, don't take damage or something like that in a lot of the levels. So there, a lot of them are repeat objectives for different, uh, like, stages. But some of them, like... I thought they were shitty, but now that I hear you talk about the way you approach the game, I think maybe they're actually smarter than I think they are. Because some of the objectives, a, a lot of the levels feature some way or another a don't get spotted objective. And every time I see that one, I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, how am I supposed to play through this level 
and not get spotted by enemies because some levels you load like the beginning of every level he drives his cool like hover car in and then he gets out of the car and in order to exit the level you have to get back in the car and go some of the levels i get out of the car and an enemy spots me immediately and i'm like how the fuck am i supposed to do these levels with 100 stealth when enemies can spot you from so far away and they can much like hotline miami they can spot you through windows there's a mod that lets them not see you through windows but um regularly they can see you through windows and, but hearing you talk about the stealth stuff, like the, you know, no moving invisibility, that actually makes more sense because you really have to tailor the upgrades to the objectives you want to get. Totally. Um, that makes sense. But I still, I think this is one of those games where I, I, I have a very binary reaction and it could flip at any given second when I'm playing it. It's either uh, option A is oh, this is really fun and intense and wow, what a level and I can't believe I made it out. And option B is, this is fucking bullshit. I've died a hundred times and I can't believe this game fucking sucks. I hate it so much. Like those are the only two feelings I have about this game because I was playing it and I was getting so fucking frustrated in some of the levels. Like there's some levels where the optional, I mean, even the primary objective, but uh, you know, much less the optional objectives are so like, I just, like, have no, like, it's the kind of thing where I put the controller down and I'm like, who could do this? Like, nobody could do this. I don't understand how anybody could get this objective in this level. Or there's, like, one level where that's a really creative level because it's kind of like a capsule stage in the game where you don't have to kill everybody, but there's, like, hordes of enemies chasing you around the map and you have to survive for a certain amount of time and on the hardest difficulty exactly what level you're talking about. I literally yeah, know exactly. It's yes, like, it's a genius level, but it's also really difficult. And one of them is like, I think the hardest one is like survive for 70 seconds and keep in mind, I die about 15 seconds in on this level. So 70 yeah, is like yeah. a stretch. And one of them is like, don't kill anyone. And I'm like, how the fuck do you get swarmed by enemies in this level? You're expected to survive for 70 seconds and not kill anyone. But lo and behold, I'm guessing the invisibility uh, upgrades might yeah. play uh, yeah, a role in this. So what I need to do now is revisit the game and maybe buy some different upgrades and try things your way. Because I've never tried the sniper rifle. I've never bought it. I've never bought the shadow cloaking one. I've never bought see, the... See, this is, this is blowing my mind, dude. This is blowing my mind. Because I would have <laughs> bet money... I would have bet that I would have been the stealth guy. Yes. I thought for sure you were going to be the stealth guy. I'm never the stealth guy. And I was totally the stealth guy. You're always the stealth guy. And you were not the, why were, why did you not pick the stealth stuff? Cause I thought for sure that you were going to do that. Why did you not do that? I, I think maybe because I thought that because the general objective in most of the levels is to kill everybody that there just wasn't, I, I feel like the game maybe is not finessed enough in a way to make stealthing viable. But now that you're talking to me about the upgrades for better stealth, that makes me want to try it again. Because, I mean, it's the setup is so similar to Hotline Miami, where it's like an enemy sees you out of the corner of their eye, they swarm you, and your ass is grass in 10 seconds if you don't like run away or like have a shotgun or something. And so I just approached it thinking like, how like how would anybody do this stealthily? Like it's so difficult to not get spotted by enemies or to, um, you know, not get spotted through a window or something like that. And especially because it's isometric, sometimes enemies can see you from off screen. But I never tried any of the stealth upgrades, so I mean that gives me a, a different way to think about it. But I, I guess I don't know. I like my stealth in like first person or third person over the shoulder shooters, not so much like an isometric thing. Cause I just thought it wasn't really a great option. So I was pretty much like, I mean, I try to finesse it as much as I can at the start of the level, but 
every time I try to be stealthy, it goes tits up in about, you know, 30 seconds uh, in the level. But now that you're talking about the stealth upgrades, it makes yeah, me want to revisit this. So I will say a few things. I will say that stealth carried me through many of the hardest parts of this game where I felt like, oh, my God, this is impossible. No fucking way. And then when I try to do a stealth run, it's like, oh, I totally did that. No problem. <laughs> like it really like the stealth really works. Like, I mean, that's really the great thing about this game is like it, it looks like I, like you look at screenshots. You're like, this looks like crap. It looks like indie crap. <laughs> like it does. It just does. And when I, I looked at this game a thousand times and never bought it. I mean, I, I didn't buy it until it went to like a dollar ninety nine or something like that. Because I just wasn't really convinced. Um, I played their other games. I did not like their other games. I played Neon Chrome. I hated Neon Chrome. I played their zombie game. I hated the zombie game. Like, I did not like any of these guys' games. And I don't even know why I bought this one. I guess I just just saw it so many times. I just felt like I should try it. And this was the one that they really made it. And, like, the options and the, and the viability is so good. Like, depending on what you do. Like, full out assault. Full out stealth. Or, like, you know, run and gun, or you can be more tactical, or, like, there's so many different mods, and they all work in a different way. But really the thing is, is, like, you really have to, like, like you kind of said earlier, change your loadout depending on what objective you want. And you change your loadout, like, a lot. Like, there is definitely, like, if there's, like, three objectives on a level, there's oftentimes I would have a different loadout for each objective because, like, not getting spotted, okay, I'm going full stealth. Or kill everybody in the level, okay, so I need more armor, and I'm going to bring the drones for backup. Or... You know, don't uh, don't hit survivors. Oh, okay, well, I need to change my gun so that the bullets don't hurt people, don't hurt innocent people, but they hurt bad guys. And so, like, you would have to change like everything about it. And I mean, I really want people to really take home the fact that you can change everything about this. You can change the gun that you're using. You can change the bullets. You can change like the the the, the augments that you have. I mean, like, there's so much stuff in this game that is really optional and changeable. There's a lot more depth to it. And anytime you get to a level, like that level you mentioned where you have to survive and not kill anybody, I thought that level was completely fucking impossible. I couldn't even finish it the first time, let alone the third difficulty. You know, <laughs> I was like, this is bullshit. But like once you get further and you unlock more stuff, you're like, oh, wait a minute. This new unlockable that I just got, that totally makes sense. If I if I equip this and go back to this other level, ah, totally did it. Totally worked. So if you get frustrated, just move on and come back after you've unlocked more stuff. But you really have to like change up your loadout all the time because there's no one loadout that will carry you through the whole game. Like it's, there's just no way, like you gotta be changing all the time. Yeah, I will, man. Okay. This is, man, this is really fascinating because I was sure that I was never going to play this game again. Like after, cause I beat it in probably two nights cause the game is not that long, but a lot of the value in it is from the replayability and from, you know, just like we've been talking about going into the different loadouts, trying to tailor a loadout for a specific object objective, which is also my fault because I went into every level thinking, um, I, I want to get all three objectives this time around, but really you kind of have to play it one objective at a time. Most of yeah, the time. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, yeah. One by one, one by one. Yeah. But, and I, and once I finished it, I was, cause I looked, I do think it's a good game, but I looked back on it with more frustration than I did. Uh, like, I don't know, cherish, you know, cherishing it because I was frustrated so much whenever I was playing it. Cause a lot of levels are difficult. Um, like uh, sometimes there are, there are really annoying, things like I was playing oh my god I was playing a level on a really hard difficulty and it was like a really I think it was like literally the hardest difficulty of like the first level of the game and the objective the main objective is to get all the there's two hostages I think or three hostages and you have to get them out and sometimes the enemies will shoot the hostages if they see you first and sometimes they won't so I got everybody out and I saved the first two hostages and I went to get the third one 
and I, you have to walk up to them and press a button to make them run to the car. I press the button to make him run to the car. He, instead of running down the hallway of the house and out the front door, he runs out the window where a landmine is waiting to blow him up when he was going <laughs> yeah. back to the car. And yeah. I was so fucking pissed because like, I, like, like that was like something that was really out of my hands and I was really frustrated about it because it took me a lot of tries to get there. And then once I was like, all right, last hostage, here we go. He runs the wrong way and gets blown up. And so once I finished it, I was like, man, I'm never going to come back to this game, but oh my God, I'm going to play it again tonight after we stop recording. You should, you I should already try know it again. It. <laughs> you should try it again. I mean, I would say definitely try the stealth route. Go as much as you can because you really do feel like a fucking super predator. Like once you go stealth and you're like just standing still in the hallway and watching these guys like walk right by you and you turn around and just fucking take them out and they don't see you. Like it's a pretty cool feeling. Like, and it feels very different than when you're loaded for assault and you're just, like, pouring bullets and everything. So it definitely has d uh, multiple personalities. And I think that the um, the objectives, they're maybe not the clearest, and sometimes if you haven't unlocked certain things, it doesn't really make sense. But, like, once you unlock more, you'll start to see that the objectives are really tailored to kind of get you to play a different way. Like, they don't come right out and say it. Like, they're not specific. But if you're like, God, there's no way I can do this, uh, maybe I should change my loadout, and then, oh, oh, this thing totally worked, and oh, that was amazing. Like, they, they try to get you to do it, like, in a subtle way. Uh, but yeah, I would say go back, put on the, the shadow stealth, put on the, um, the motion stealth, get a sniper rifle, put on the thing that lets you shoot through walls and just like play that way for a while. It's like a whole new game, dude. Like it's like a whole different experience. So give it a shot and see what you think. I mean, it may not, you know, I didn't get a hundred percent of everything, but I got like, I, I, I played that game a lot longer than it would have played it if it was just a normal action run and gun. I mean, I probably would have beat it once and been done, but I, I actually tried to get as many of those objectives as I could, and I got almost all of them. Um, the ones that really gave me the most trouble and the ones that kind of made me just stop were the ones where you cannot break a piece of furniture. Like, I, those ones drove me crazy because sometimes the enemies would break a piece of furniture and it counted. <laughs> and it's so tough to tell, like, what is a piece of furniture and what is not. So, like, those ones I found to be the most difficult out of the entire game, uh, although some of them are still very difficult. I don't want to... It's not an easy game. Like, don't let me don't let me fool you into thinking that. But I thought it was great. I would say go back. I mean, you know, you don't have to finish it or anything, but just give it a try. Try the stealth. See how that feels in comparison to what you were doing before. Try some things that you haven't tried before, and you'll be surprised at how different it can feel and, like, the different options that open up. Yeah, the I, I will definitely go back and try it again. The last thing um, that I just remembered while you were talking about uh, that that I wanted to comment on is something that really pissed me off whenever I first started playing it is whenever... You're playing through the levels like uh like we've said you have the three objectives the first time then you unlock the next harder difficulty you have three objectives there um the game uh it gates you on how many levels you can complete until you get a certain amount of objectives cleared and i was starting to get really pissed because i wouldn't be able to move on to the next level unless i went back to you know the first five levels and completed a certain number of, uh, of objectives and i was having a really hard time with them but little did I know, all you have to do is go to the options menu and you could turn off the gating in the options menu. So if you're playing it or you want to play it and maybe that's a concern for you, just know that you can turn that off in the options menu. And the game tried to give me some warning. It was like, oh, you might miss out on story progression, blah, blah, blah. Are you sure you want to turn this off? And I was like, fucking yeah, I'm sure I want to turn this off. Like, don't gate my progress based on these like really difficult objectives and a level that I've already played like 10 times. So I turned that off and then it was pretty much smooth sailing from then on out. Interesting. I did not even know you could do that. But I mean, I think the counter argument to that is I think they want you to figure out those different techniques, because if you go to the higher levels, like you're not going to know 
what to do, or you may not like you may not even have the gear that makes it possible because if they gate it by saying you need to complete these number of objectives, that guarantees that you will have a certain number of unlock points, which gives you the gear because some of those levels are just flat out impossible <laughs> if you do not have the right gear. So it kind of makes sense that they would gate it that way, but at the same time. I can totally understand being frustrated and just wanting to move on a little bit. So cool. They give me the option though. That's a pretty, that's a pretty rare option. I don't think I've ever seen that in, in either game. Yeah. I was really happy to see it. And I mean, it's kind of like a counter argument to that. Uh, Cause I totally get that where, you know, they want you to go and buy things and maybe test new ways to play it before moving on. But the other thing, the, the thing against that that bothers me is Sometimes you buy stuff and it ends up not being very good and then you wasted the money on it. So it's like hard to know what upgrades will really pay off and which ones will be kind of bullshit because when oh, I, we're going to we're going to talk about this in just a few minutes. We are totally <laughs> going to talk about this. Um because like I uh because like for, for example like the sniping thing, like I would never have bought the the snipe gun upgrade because I, I thought, like, I, I'm sitting here thinking, like, okay, this is kind of like a run-and-gun game. This isn't, like, a like a smooth, you know, tactical, you know, kind of game. Like, at least it wasn't to me. And so I wasn't going to spend my money on it. And some stuff that I did spend money on, like the one, there's an upgrade, like I said earlier, that just makes your character shorter. And I still haven't found out what the benefit of that is. Like, I don't know if he takes less damage or if he gets shot less. Or there's something in the description about him being able to fit into smaller places. So I don't know if there's, like holes in the walls in some levels that he can go through if he's smaller but like i spent money on that upgrade and i used it for a couple levels and i was like i don't like i see literally no benefit to this and i spent my money on it so i would rather not be gated and be able to progress through all the levels rather than have the game sort of like punch me down and say no you have to spend money and experiment with these upgrades even if the upgrades that i buy i think look promising and then end up being bullshit I totally, I mean, I totally see the value of that for sure. And I, I mean, I'm always in favor of if there are points to be spent and there are a limit of them, or at least you need to earn them some way. And if it's possible to stop earning them because you can't play anymore, I am always a fan of let me get those points back. And I don't know if it's possible in Judge if you can refund points or not. I don't recall if you can or not. But if, if there's ever a system like that, I think the best thing to do is let you get your points back. And I, I, I will actually talk about this exact issue <laughs> later on in the podcast when I get to my other game that we're talking about, uh, because that became a real problem for me. Uh, so I don't I do not disagree with you. I think that if there's stuff to be bought, upgrades, you know, sp- stats to be unlocked or anything like that, you should definitely get at least a respec or a points refund or something, because if you you fuck it up and you don't know what's good and you put yourself into a corner, it can make the whole game just really negative and really difficult. So I, I definitely agree for sure. Uh, all right. We're going to move on in a second. Any final thoughts when you wrap up on judge? Uh, I think that's it. I will revisit it and then maybe bring it back up later, but we'll see. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Moving on. It'll be my first game, which is called the missing J.J. Macfield and the Island of Memories. A little bit of a cumbersome title, but this is the newest <laughs> from Sweary65, who was the mad genius behind Deadly Premonition, which was one of my favorite games the year it came out. And he is a well-known kind of auteur who is uh, real kooky, real offbeat, does a lot of strange decisions, real quirky kind of design. Uh, are you familiar with his work at all, Corey? Have you played any of his games? I have played... I played about an hour of Deadly Premonition. I played a little bit of... Um, he did the... 
correct me if I'm wrong, he did the Travis touchdown. No, no, that was that was oh, Suda that's the 51. other guy, Suda. Yeah, never mind. Um, I did play. Uh, what was the free to play one that you loved? Oh, let it die. Yeah, let it die. I played that a little bit, and we just no, that was about Suda fifty one also. Oh damn it! Oh my god. Um, <laughs> you're getting your Japanese people with numbers at the end of their names mixed up because Suda yeah, fifty one and Swery sixty five are two yeah. <laughs> two different dudes. I mean, I also He's... played Metal Gear Solid. He did that game too, right? Oh my god. No, he did not. Okay, then I guess Deadly. Premonition is the only one I've played, and I only played it for like an hour, so okay, no not a worries, good track no record worries. for me. Damn, I'm really getting my developers mixed up here. No problem. He's pretty niche. Um, he did Deadly Premonition is the biggest one. He also did D4, which was on the Xbox One. Um, he also did uh, Spy Fiction, which was on the PS2. He worked on extermination which was on the ps2 he worked on a few other like really small things um here and there so he doesn't have a huge output but the stuff that he he makes is generally pretty pretty memorable uh and just full disclosure um deadly premonition is a pretty polarizing game i loved it i fully admit that there were many problems with it like mechanical problems there were design problems and one of the biggest issues was the combat in that game. But um, for people, I mean, fans of his probably know this, but he actually designed that game to not really have combat in it. But the developer or the publisher said that they would not publish it unless there was some kind of combat because they just assumed that people need, you know, gunplay in order to buy a game, which is not true. So he had he was forced to put the gunplay in, which probably explains why it's so bad. But <laughs> that aside, Deadly Premonition was one of my favorite games. I thought it was like a phenomenal piece of work, and especially when taken as a, a, a companion piece to Twin Peaks, which it obviously is. Uh, so this is his new thing. Very interesting so far. It's a it's a departure from his other work. It is a 2D puzzle game. And the lead character is a lesbian. So they start right off the bat with like a disclaimer. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, they start with a disclaimer before the game starts, and it said, the attitude that we made this game with is that no one should be ashamed of who they are, or something like that. Like, it was basically like an affirmation message at the beginning, um, which I thought was a strong statement to make uh, right off the bat. Lead character is a lesbian who's on a date with her girlfriend, they're camping, and then the girlfriend disappears, and then things get really fucking kooky and weird, which is not a surprise, <laughs> considering this this developer. Uh, Swery is a very unusual, very offbeat, very... When you play a Swery game, you know you're playing a Swery game, because he no one else really makes games like he does. Unless which, you're Corey Motley and you think you're playing Pseudo 5-1 games. That is true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so maybe with that caveat said, yes, uh, <laughs> no one else except for Suda51 and Kojima, but otherwise. Uh, so so it's a 2D puzzle game. What happens is your girlfriend disappears. You go off to search for her, and this weird monster shows up that chases you every once in a while. But it's not a horror game. Like, don't, don't be scared off, because I'm not a horror fan. I'm too scared for horror. But this is not a horror game. Uh, monster just chases you a little bit. There are some weird puzzles. And the hook to this game is that the way that you get through these puzzles is by doing damage to yourself. And so, for example, if there is a bunch of vines that are overgrown and blocking your way, you have to, like, find a way to set yourself on fire. And you're, like, your character just, like, shrieks and screams and is burning. And you have to go over there and touch the thing and it'll catch on fire. And then you can heal yourself. So you can also heal yourself and bring yourself back. Like, um, you can take a ridiculous amount of damage before you actually like die die all the way so you can do tons of terrible things to yourself and still survive it and keep moving forward um very often you'll have to like 
find something sharp and like cut one of your arms off and like blood will spurt and she'll like be, you know, like in agony, obviously. But then you pick up the arm and throw it at something because you need to knock something <laughs> down or uh, she'll also there are these weird levels where like you have to kind of navigate the ceiling. What happens if you give yourself a concussion? Um, it kind of like breaks her neck and her skull gets fractured and she gets real dizzy and then it turns the whole world upside down. And so she kind of walks on the ceiling when she's in that state. And when you heal yourself, her equilibrium is restored and she falls back down to the ground and can progress. Um, in certain circumstances, you will have to actually like dismember yourself so badly that all you're left with is a head and the head can kind of roll into really small spaces and like the hair kind of like drags behind it. And it's really gross and just kind of really disturbing and weird. Uh, but she can heal herself uh, as long as her head doesn't get dissolved or burned or crushed or anything. As long as the head is intact, she can bring herself back and she'll heal all her injuries back. So she's making her way through this island, 2D puzzles, and it's all like, it's it's really weird and distracting. You're not really sure if it's a dream. Is it an alternate dimension? Your friend is missing, but then she shows up, but then she's missing again. And it's like, is she trying to stay away from you? Is it is she not? Like, there's a lot of stuff going on and Swery, um has promised that even though it seems really strange and weird at the beginning, he's like, this totally comes together at the end. And I've talked to people who have finished it and they say that, yes, it actually does all come together. It all makes sense. And it all has, there's a purpose to it all, which I believe because, um, I know that people thought Swery was off his rocker when he made deadly premonition. But when I finished it, I thought that game had one of like the most amazing touching, like most memorable endings of like any game that I've played. Like that ending sticks with me like so hard and so strong. Um, so if he can even touch even a bit of that for this ending, um, I will be satisfied. So it seems to me as the themes go on that perhaps um, it might be about self-acceptance because some uh, sometimes you get messages on your, your cell phone, like you'll be in the middle of a thing and just pause because your phone rings and you'll have to like check out your text. And the stuff that they're kind of talking about, I'm not going to spoil it all, but it, it kind of definitely seems about like self-acceptance or about being OK with who you are maybe these girls were not accepted for being lesbians. And so maybe that's an issue. Um, I'm still kind of peeling back the layers, still kind of checking it out, but I really like it a lot. I think the, the art is really cool. There's a lot of really creepy Americana kind of stuff happening. Swery is a big fan of like decaying America or America that is, that is not healthy. You see it a lot in deadly premonition. You see it a lot in the locations that he scouts. Um, there'd be like, you know, a rundown diner, a really sad looking kind of bar playing some jazz or like, you know, just kind of stuff that you see that, that is not really a reflection of modern day America, or maybe it's like Rust Belt America or something where there's just the economy's dying and the people are dying. And it just looks like a really sad place to be. He's a big fan of that kind of motif, which I think really works well for this game. So you see a lot of that imagery, but it's great. It's great. I'm still working my way through it. Uh, I, I mean, I'm guessing I'm maybe halfway, just like a straight up guess. I'm not sure exactly how much is left, but by counting the collectibles, um, I'm guessing I'm about maybe halfway through. And the collectibles are optional. You don't need to get those, but they are. there are donuts scattered throughout the level if you'd like to collect donuts. Um, donuts. Just kind of funny little, yeah, just a little funny thing you threw in there. Uh, but so far, it's really good. I, I don't have a lot more to say because I don't know how the story turns out and I don't want to give too much away. And if I discuss any more, I mean, half the fun of this game is just discovering how this puzzle works and what you need to do to yourself to get through this puzzle and what what the main themes are. So um, I want to leave it there for now. But I got to say, I, I really do like it a lot. I think this is his strongest work since Deadly Premonition. He's had a couple other ones that are not quite as strong. Uh, but this one seems to have all the pieces in place. And if you were a fan of... Not how Deadly Premonition played, but if you're a fan of the themes, of the tone, of the idea, 
of the mood of that game. I think a lot of that is reflected here, and I think that's really cool. I don't think a lot of people are doing that. So I'm a fan of his for sure, and I like this game a lot so far. I'm very curious to see where it goes. But um, that's all I want to say for now. Corey, thoughts, feelings, feedback? Um, what system are you playing it on, and do you know what systems it's available on? It is, so I am playing it on the Xbox One. That was the, that, the system that had the codes available first. I believe it's going to be PC, Xbox One are available now. Uh, PS4 is coming if it's not already out. And Switch will be last. So it'll be eventually be on all the systems. I did get an email from PR saying that there was some kind of problem with the publishing process for PS4 and Switch. So uh, they may not be out by the time you hear this, but they are coming very, very soon. And it's already out on Xbox One and PC. This sounds like a good Switch title. Would I be wrong in assuming that? I think that it would be fine. Um, I, you know, I got to say, I do love the Switch, but some games just don't translate well to the small screen. This one is not really super graphical intense, and so it's probably okay, but I cannot vouch for that. And I got to say, on the PS4, I feel like it's a good size. I don't know if it would size down, but maybe give it a shot. I don't know. Also, I apologize because we said we were going to name games before and after discussing them. I don't know that we ever said Judge after we finished the Judge segment. So the first game we just talked about before this was Judge, J-Y-D-J-E. And this one that we're talking about now is The Missing, J.J. Macfield and the Island of Memories. So there we go. I, I'm going to really try my best to remember to say those names. <laughs> um, any other comments or should we move on, Corey? Uh, I think this game sounds interesting. I'll keep an eye out for it. Uh, maybe on Switch. I don't know. I pretend like I'm one of those guys who like will only play games on Switch now, which is like really far from the truth. Um, I don't know. It sounds interesting, though. I'll keep an eye out for it. I'll keep you posted. Let me see how this story plays out and... You know, I think that's probably going to have a lot to do with it, too, because I think the puzzles are really cool um, and I like them a lot. But I, I think a lot's going to really depend on how the other themes come together. So uh, let me finish it up and I'll give you a final wrap up. Maybe we'll talk about it in the show. Maybe not. But if nothing else, we'll circle back and uh, we'll see how this goes. But let's move on. Uh, so once again, that was, J that was missing J.J. Macfield, the Island of Memories. Moving on. Uh, Corey, you've been playing. OK, I got it. I got to admit, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit lost. <laughs> Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Now, I know this is one of the newer ones and there are three three new 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 ones which is like the re re reboot of the series so which one is shadow is that the first newest one second newest one or third newest one which one is this one shadow is the newest one the first one the first reboot by crystal dynamics was just called tomb raider then there was rise of the tomb raider which okay, came out okay. a couple years later and now we have shadow shadow of the, of tomb, the raider. tomb raider so this is like actually the second crystal dynamics reboot which is weird, and it's getting really hard to keep track of these. So this is the okay. So this is the absolute newest one, period, right? <laughs> yes, and it's only been out for like a month or so, so it's like pretty fresh. Okay, great. Thank you for clarifying that because <laughs> honestly, I was fucking lost. I do, I cannot keep them apart. Um, so Shadow of the Tomb Raider, what system are you playing it on, and tell us all about it. Um, it is. Um, I think it's on. Xbox One and PS4. I don't know if it's on PC. Um, I'm playing it on PS4. I got it from Gamefly. Uh, I had reported several, several episodes ago, um, a long time ago, that I probably wouldn't play this because I kind of feel like I had my fill of Tomb Raider because I thought the Tomb Raider reboot was fine. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I thought it was okay. 
Uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, I did not like a whole lot. I played the whole thing, didn't really feel any different from the first Tomb Raider, which I thought was just okay. So, you know, if you give me a meal and it's just okay, and then you give me the same meal again, it's going to be, like, less okay. But, (laughs) I mean, the fascinating thing about Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which is the newest one, is... um, Crystal Dynamics took a little bit of a back seat on developing this one, and Idis Montreal, the famed developers of Deus Ex uh, Human Revolution, oh, Deus shit. Ex Mankind Divided, and Thief, which kind of came and went with no fanfare, uh, they they are the primary developers on this, because Idis Montreal had worked on multiplayer components for the last two, but not the actual like big-time game campaign situation. Now the tables have turned. Um, Crystal Dynamics, I think, was still developing it in some capacity, because their name is on it. But Idis Montreal took the lead on this. And to be clear, I don't... like. I think Idis Montreal has two teams... They have the Deus Ex team, who I think is working on an Avengers game right now because they signed a big thing with Marvel years ago and have been developing some Avengers game in top secrecy. I think that's the Deus Ex team. And then they have the Thief team, which is maybe like their B team. And I'm pretty sure the people that are not working on the Deus Ex team worked on this. And I really lost all interest in this game until I heard that Idis Montreal was taking the lead on it because obviously if you've met me in any capacity, you know that Deus Ex Human Revolution is one of my favorite games of all time. Is, it, I, is that true? I never it is, mentioned that it's before. True. Is that I a know, thing? I know. 101 episodes in and I can finally, I finally feel safe talking about it with you, Brad. Um, <laughs> but it's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, Deus Ex Mankind Divided. I love it. It's not as good as Human Revolution, but I think it's a really good game too. Um, so I was really interested to see what Idis Montreal would do with this game. Cause obviously I wasn't expecting them to turn Tomb Raider into like, uh, you know, a cybernetic feature robot Android enhancement game. I like, I didn't think they were going to do anything like that to it, but I was just interested to see like what that, like what they would do with it. Because I think whenever you hand, um, a seasoned franchise to a new developer, I always think that's fascinating. I kind of wish that would happen more in video games but uh it it doesn't but i you know for legal reasons i'm sure and copyright and all that stuff but um i've played it for about three hours four hours maybe so i've you know bitten a sizable chunk out of it i i'm not just doing you know 30 minute first impressions but i can i've come to the conclusion that Idis Montreal have done absolutely nothing to change the formula of this game, which is incredibly disappointing to me because it feels exactly like Rise of the Tomb Raider, which felt exactly like the Tomb Raider reboot. It's the same uh, climbing on shit in the jungle, having stealth or bad stealth, by the way, bad stealth or mediocre combat, um... Bad story, not great writing. Uh, it's just like I was incredibly disappointed after about an hour when I was like, okay, so Crystal Dynamics handed this franchise to Idis Montreal to develop, and they literally did nothing like to change what, what the game is. Like, obviously, like I said, I wasn't expecting them to do a lot. You know, I didn't expect it to be, you know, Laura Croft on Mars or something, although that would be infinitely more interesting than what's going on here. But it's just boring. Like, the. The story, I don't even understand what the fuck's going on in the story, to be completely honest with you. Like, the beginning chapter, 
you play as Laura Croft, obviously she's on some mission in some jungle somewhere in some tomb. Obviously it's Tomb Raider. Um, she finds this like old dagger thing in this tomb that after solving this puzzle that's on this like pedestal thing, um, there are enemy forces that are closing in. So she decides to steal the dagger and run away with it. But the dagger has ties to some uh, supernatural calamity. So when she takes the dagger, all of a sudden, like, she sets into motion this, like, um, I don't know, like, all these, like, storms and shit, like, flooding and fires. And apparently, like, the world's going to blow up because she stole this dagger out of his tomb or something. The story is really far-fetched. I mean, I wasn't coming to this expecting some, like, you know, heartwarming tale or anything, but it's just like the the story, I don't know what's going on. So she's like trying the dagger gets stolen by somebody because they couldn't make a game that wasn't influenced by Uncharted, where you're the good guy, quote unquote, you steal a thing that you're not supposed to be stealing, and then the bad guy gets it, and then you have to chase the bad guy to get it back. It's basically what the story is here. Um I I I just like don't I don't think I'm gonna keep playing this game because the the combat's not great. The traversal is okay, but it doesn't feel any different than the other ones. You're climbing on stuff. You have your pickaxes to climb walls. You're jumping. You're running. You're balancing on things. Um, you're sometimes shooting at dudes. You're sometimes shooting at dudes with a bow and arrow. Sometimes you're stealth killing people. Um, the game, for some reason, there's a lot of underwater stuff in it, which is okay, but it's not great. Um, the game has this weird, like, fetish i'm not afraid to call it with like having laura be caked in mud and so there's like a lot of situations where she'll like slide down this hill and then all of a sudden her character model's like covered in mud which on one hand is like kind of cool because it's very like predator-y but it doesn't it happens so often that it like loses its interesting value and there's actually a mechanic built into the game where if you are in sort of like a mudslidey, dirty area, and you're on top of a mud puddle, you can press a button to make her cover herself in mud in order to look stealthier to blend in more with the environment, which is kind of cool. It's kind of like a Metal Gear Solid 3 type thing. But it I, it's only happened once, I think, in one spot in the four or so hours that I played it. Um, yeah, I just... This game... I'm I just disappointment is the only word I can I can say like if you liked the F Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider this is just more of it if you liked it I'm sure it's going to be up your alley um it just doesn't do anything new it doesn't do anything innovative it doesn't change the formula at all about what's going on I don't really like the story because it's just a oh we stole something now the world's going to end let's go steal it back kind of thing she has a sidekick named Jonah who's been in all three games, and I think he's a really annoying character, and I don't know why they keep bringing him back because he did he made some character decisions in Rise of the Tomb Raider that I wish they would have killed him off for, but they didn't. Um, and I... Yeah, I'm just not feeling super good about this game. I just think it's really copy-pasted of the old ones, and I'm not really a fan well, it's sad to hear that, but I can't say that I'm surprised. I mean, I've, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm like a Tomb Raider fan, although I have played like most of the games, and I did really enjoy them in their various incarnations over the years. I mean, I played the OG Tomb Raiders, and I thought the first one or two were okay, and then they went off the rails. I liked it when they did the first 
Crystal Dynamics reboot. Not the one you're talking about, but the one before that. I thought the first, again, like, it's like a pattern. Like, the first one <laughs> or two were okay, and then they went off the rails. Then they did this reboot now. Um, there's probably a couple other reboots in there somewhere that I'm forgetting. But the one that you're talking about, the current the current reboot season of the 1, 2, and 3, um, I played the first one, and I just didn't care for it because I felt like it was stealing too much from Uncharted. I felt like they, they got away from the tombs. They got away from the puzzles. It became about just, like, like way too much combat and not enough of anything else. And that was also the one where they really made a big deal about, oh, you're going to see Laura how she goes from being an innocent girl to being the Tomb Raider that you all know and love. And she's going to go on this emotional journey. And it was like, okay, yeah, she was scared for five minutes. <laughs> she, she did like three headshots. And then all of a sudden she's like a murder machine. Like that's not much of a journey. That's not much of growth. That's not much of anything. Uh, I thought they really blew that way out of proportion. Um, you know what they said in comparison to what they did. I didn't even finish that game. I, I kind of was thinking about going back to it. The first one. Um, just to, I don't know, just to finish it out and just to see if I really would change my feelings about it. But that was also the one where they had like this torture porn fetish about like impaling Laura with like steel rods and having to break her arm and getting a staph infection on her eye and all the shit. Like every five seconds, they would have this like weird cutscene of her being like brutalized. And I felt like it was just over the top. Like it was too much, uh, it, like to the point where it became like really distasteful for me. So I stopped um, so I may come back to it. I did not spend any time with the second one uh, because it, everybody said, oh, it's just more of the same. And now here's the third one. And you're saying, like, it's even more of the same and even less than the last <laughs> ones. I mean, I guess that's Tomb Raider's, like, fate. Like, it's just it's doomed to repeat itself for all eternity where they reboot it every five or ten years. The first game is OK. And then they just get worse. And then they have to reboot it again. So this sounds like absolutely nothing to recommend it. It sounds like if you didn't like the first one or the second one, there's no reason to come for the third one. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's just more of the same. Like, And something that I meant to say earlier that I forgot about but I'm rethinking about is that I am fucking sick and tired of playing sequels of games where every game has a skill tree. And in the sequel, I have to relearn the fucking skills that I learned uh, in the game before it. And this lame, is a perfect lame. example of that. I do not understand. I, I mean, I get it. I get why they do it for gameplay reasons because... You can't start the game with Laura Croft knowing everything. I mean, I kind of wish you would because that would make the game more fun. But I don't like when I spend 20 hours playing the first game and, you know, say, for example, I learn how to do the chain takedown kill move or whatever by using my skill points for it. And then I come back and I play the second one. And then I have to relearn how to do the chain takedown or what have you from the first game. And then I play the third one and I have to relearn and use skill points to do the chain takedown thing. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like it, uh, like, I mean, considering this whole trilogy, if you will, is supposed to be about her. I mean, the first game was supposed to be about, like you said, it was supposed to be about her coming, going from this like doe eyed explorer to, you know, this like badass explorer who can take on the world and do anything. And like, I'm all for that character arc, even though I think they really botched it in the first game, like you said, because she went from innocent explorer to murder machine in about 30 seconds. But I like, I feel like that they're really, really spreading this way too thin because if we're on the third game and she's still relearning the same upgrades from the first two games, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, how am I supposed to, have faith in her as a character and how am I supposed to trust her 
that she knows what she's doing if she has to keep re... I mean, and she's been exploring. I mean, the game leads you to believe that she's doing, like, one exploration after another. So why is she forgetting these skills? Like, I get it from a gameplay perspective, but it's so annoying to me. It would be one thing if they just added more skills for you to learn in the second and third games and you kept the ones before it. But, like, why do I have to relearn all the stuff in every single game? Just give me like the bad bitch Laura that we've been working up to for the past two games. Don't dumb her down every time you bring another game back because it just makes her look dumb and it makes you look dumb and it makes the developers look like they're being fucking lazy. And I don't, I don't like this. I don't want the exact same game copied and pasted three times over. It's not good enough for me. Well, you know, a way to get around that would be at the beginning of each new Laura Croft game, have her be, you know, show her on a beach drinking Mai Tais, got some sunglasses on, and she gets up, and she's like, oh, man, I'm so rusty. I haven't been too ready for a while. I feel like I've forgotten it all. I should get back in shape. And then, boom, start at the bottom of the skill tree all over again, narrative justification. I mean, I that would do, that would do more to justify her diminishing skill set in every game than they do at all. Because, I mean... Even in, like, Deus Ex Mankind Divided, it's the same thing. You know, you have all these cool skills from Human Revolution. You get to Mankind Divided, and it dumbs you back down. But they give you—I mean, at least they attempt to give you a reason in that game. He goes to a doctor, uh, like a cybernetics doctor, and he accidentally, like, kind of, like, hard resets Adam Jensen's body, which I'm not saying is a great story beat, like, at all. But at least it's, like, a reason for him to have to buy some of the same upgrades again— and Tomb Raider, they give you no reason. It's like, oh, she was exploring her ass off in the game before it, and then the next one just picks up where it leaves off, but for some reason, she doesn't have any of the skills that she worked so hard in the past two games to build up. And honestly, if they did the freaking beach Mai Tai thing, and if she said, you know, if the game started and she was like, oh, I've taken a few years off from exploring, I've been, you know, doing a lot of research or something, and I haven't really been, like, hitting the gym or using my ridiculous mansion obstacle course that I have with my butler, like, that would at least be a reason. But the game doesn't give you any reason. It just says, here she is doing her thing. By the way, she forgot everything she learned in the last two games. I hate to say it, but it just sounds like business as usual for Tomb Raider. I mean, I, I don't think they really rebooted it properly the first time, and it seems like they've just kind of gone on this track. And I guess if you want more of this, then here is more. But otherwise, <laughs> I mean, stay away, basically. And it sounds like you're going to bail, right? Yeah, I mean, I just, I yeah, I don't think I'm going to finish it. Like, I was playing it last night. And one thing I do slightly appreciate about it is that there is less murder in this one. I mean, there's still killing dudes, but it's not, like, uncharted levels of, you know, every time you get to a new area, you have to kill 50 guys before you can move on. And, but I, like, I'm not saying that her murdering people would make the game better, but I am becoming increasingly bored with how much just like running and climbing there is in this game because I don't want it to be Lara Croft mass murder, you know, simulator 2018. But so let me me ask you this then. Is it, is it the uncharted style of running and climbing where basically there's only like a couple paths and you just kind of push a button and go, or is it like old school Tomb Raider where like, like actually like navigating the level was like kind of the puzzle in itself. Like, is it the brainless kind of climbing or is it like, do you feel like, you're figuring out the geometry of a level and making your way through. It seems to be, to me at least, the brainless climbing. The Uncharted-style um, climbing. Yeah, yeah. Uncharted-style, you're jumping from one ledge to another. Every third ledge, you 
you grab breaks, of course, so you totally, have to regain her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like this is one thing that I think it was Tomb Raider Underworld, if I'm not mistaken, that came out in 2008. Which was, was very much an underdog game that I don't think anybody really played. And maybe I've talked about it on the show before, but Tomb Raider Underworld was really special because in almost every level of that game, it basically just drops Laura Croft into this like gigantic mechanism puzzle of a level. And you just have to figure out like how the fuck to solve the level and explore the tomb and do what it is. It wasn't some big story-based adventure. And I really cherished that about Tomb Raider Underworld because every level was just kind of like a giant tomb puzzle and they did have some you know story specific levels sprinkled in sprinkled throughout but i don't like this this uncharted style i don't like how uncharted got so big and then tomb raider is chasing uncharted and then uncharted is chasing tomb raider and then you have these two series that are just repeating themselves over and over and over again and not really adding anything new and that's exactly what's happening here with tomb raider and i'm i just i'm just bored i'm really bored playing it and i'm not i don't see myself finishing it Sounds like someone needs to pull the ripcord and bail out. So <laughs> I do because I have no shortage of games to play right now. Yeah, so I need to stop. Playing I mean, this. that's really the thing. I kind of tweeted about this last night, but like there, there is literally like no excuse to play a game that you're not enjoying because even if you are poor, you can buy games so cheaply on PSN sale, on Steam for pennies. I mean, there's like there's so many options for for players to get something that fits them more than. I mean, we're not in the days where like. You had to save up like eighty dollars for an SNES cartridge, and then once you bought that, you had to save up for another six months. I mean, games are cheap these days. So if you are a gamer and you're not clicking with what you're playing, there's there's no excuse. I mean, GameFly <laughs> even is so cheap, like eight or nine bucks a month or whatever for the basic plan, and just get something, just get rid of it. So I think you should pull the cord and move on. And I think we are going to move on. That was Shadow of the Tomb Raider uh, from Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal. You said is that correct? That is correct. All right. So sounds like a dud. We are going to move on. Uh, okay. So we we say new, old, whatever in between. If we're playing it, we're going to be talking <laughs> about it. I'm putting that. I'm putting that in effect right now because, uh, as uh, I mentioned in the banter, my family has been a little bit under the weather lately. We all have been kind of having cold or a, a mild flu or something like that. So we've been kind of taking it easy. I must have been gripped with some fever at some point because I was like, oh, my God, I just really want to play Cuphead right now. And I just <laughs> I d- that's not a thing I ever thought I would hear myself say. Uh, but I, I bought it a million years ago when it went on sale and it's been sitting on my Xbox one this whole time. I've, I touched it for like five minutes and I'm like, this game is garbage. Fuck this game. I'm not playing it. <laughs> Didn't touch it since then. And for whatever reason, the virus in my body took control of my brain. It was like, you really, really are in the mood to play Cuphead right now, so go do that. And I'm like, yes, I obey. And I went and played Cuphead on the Xbox One. So I, I'm sure you're familiar with this, Corey. Cuphead was put out by, a, at the time, I guess, a smaller indie studio. I'm not sure if they're still indie. I know they, they have some kind of relationship with Microsoft. Uh, but this is the one that used like 1920s style, you know, quote unquote rubber hose kind of animation. Uh, it looks exactly like an old school cartoon, like a Max Fleischer, early, early Disney days of cartoon, like Steamboat Willie sort of an era cartoon. Uh, it is color, though, so there's not black and white, but there's color. But like you play as Cuphead, who is a little guy who's got a cup for a head. And he sells his soul to the devil by gambling it away. And in, and after he loses, he makes a bargain with the devil to go after other people who have also sold their soul. So he becomes kind of like the devil's collection agent, I suppose. And 
you go through this like hand drawn hand animated world um it's a split it's split between a few levels which are called the quote-unquote the run and gun levels where they're kind of like side scrolling platformy levels they're pretty brief and then the other levels are just boss boss rush levels excuse me and the majority of the game is simply a bunch of boss rushes where you just you pick a boss you fight the boss there's no level or anything you just go straight into the boss battle and fight the boss so it's really all about learning the boss's moves and learning the patterns and making sure that you have enough hand-eye coordination to survive it um cuphead's main weapon is that he points his finger and it shoots a bullet for some reason. I don't know how that <laughs> relates to him having a cup for a head. I, I mean, I don't know why they did that. Maybe maybe he looked weird holding a gun, or I don't know what. But he literally just makes, like, he points a finger. And, I mean, all that's missing is him going pew, 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 because he doesn't make that sound. <laughs> but that's basically what he does. Uh, and you just go into these levels and fight these bosses. There are... Oh, I don't know how many bosses there are, but there's a pretty good amount. There's probably, like, 15 or 20 bosses. And there's maybe, like six or eight maybe like six run and gun levels and then you uh have two difficulty levels the first is the quote-unquote easier difficulty which i don't think is really all that easy but if you play on the easy mode you cannot get to the final battle you cannot actually get the legit ending of the game which i think is crap Uh, i hate when people gate stuff off behind difficulty like that and if you play in the regular mode you will eventually get to the devil himself and have a boss battle with the devil so that is Cuphead, in a nutshell, before I dive in any further, um, have you ever played this, Corey? I mean, I, I'm sure you must know what this is. I know exactly what it is, and we, I think we've not, t- we, I think we've talked about it on the show, but not, maybe it was whenever you played it for like five minutes the first time, but this is one of those games that I immediately know, or knew at the time when it came out was not going to be for me, because this is one of those games that was basically marketed as a, hey, this game's going to kick your ass, it's really hard, the end marketing campaign, and I, I can't get behind that, so I will never play this game. Yeah, that's really the thing, is like, they, I don't know that they necessarily marketed it as such, but once word got around, um, I remember a lot of people being surprised, because when you see this game, I mean... I just, just Okay, so first off, I did complete the game on the normal level, which is the hardest difficulty. So I did everything in the game. So I can talk freely about this. Do not at me saying that I'm not good enough or that I didn't finish the game. I completed the fucking game. So so that, that let's get that aside. I, I had the skills to pay the bills and it got done. Secondly, like, I remember myself included a lot of people being very surprised because the graphics in this game are fucking amazing. Like, with, with putting all that other stuff aside, this game looks like fucking amazing. Like if you go to YouTube and just watch the boss battles, it's like watching a fucking cartoon and it looks just like the boss animations are great. Cuphead's animations are great. Like the stuff that happens is like just it so perfectly captures that era of animation. I mean, it did a great job. Like it, the 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 appeal of this game is like it's irresistible. Like I I like this game the way it looks even though I do not like this game. I did not have fun playing this game. I kind of tortured myself playing this game, but I like the look of it so much that I felt just like compelled to play it, which is quite a statement, um, especially for me, because I do not play stuff that I don't like, but I did suffer through this just for the sake of saying I could do it. Um, But yeah, it's really hard. And a lot of people were so surprised. Um, I honestly think that's one of the problems with it is it's really too hard. But if it wasn't hard, you would finish it in an hour and then people would be like, (laughs) is that all there is? 
I mean, and these guys talked at length about what a painstaking process it was to, like, do the drawing, do the animation, capturing all the moves and putting it all together. Like, I mean, it must have been absolutely fucking grueling, like incredibly painstaking. So I respect that. But I mean, the, the simple fact is, like I just said, if it wasn't as hard as it is, you would finish it in an hour and then people would bitch and moan that that's all there was. So I don't know what the answer was. I mean, t in my mind, I would rather see other types of levels rather than just the boss battles and just make more of it. But considering how hard it was to make and how much effort it took, I, it probably would have driven those guys insane. I think they were on the verge of bankruptcy when the game came out because it had taken so long and they had poured so much into it. Like, I don't think they could have done anymore, even if they wanted to. So there's a lot of stuff surrounding this game other than just the fact that it's too hard. And I, I don't mean to give it short shrift, but I mean, bottom line, as someone who comes to this game without knowing that stuff and just starts to play it, it's just it's way too hard. Like, it's offensively hard. Um, you die, like, in five seconds, and the bosses are crazy hard. The running gun levels, the side-scrolling levels are ridiculously, irritatingly, fuck shit, fuck you, <laughs> fuck off, fuck, why am I playing this, fuck, 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 hard. Um, so it's really difficult, um, no matter which way you slice it. So um, we talked earlier in the show about upgrades when we talked about Judge and how if you have the wrong upgrades, it can make a level difficult. That is absolutely the case in this game. I, I went into this game blind. I didn't do any research on the internet because I think that's bullshit. I think that um, a good game should let you approach it just cold off the shelf and just you should be able to get into it, which was okay for the most part, but some of the boss battles are much, much, much easier if you have a specific weapon. And you can buy new weapons in a shop, but you do not know which weapons are good for what until, you, until you're in that situation, and the money in this game is incredibly limited. In fact, there is exactly enough money in the game to buy everything in the shop. There is no more, there is no less. So if you buy the wrong thing, but you have not earned more money, there is no other money to get, and you are stuck with what you've got, and you cannot exchange it, and there's no respec or anything. So what happened was I ended up buying two weapons at first and I made good choices. But the third choice I made was a bad choice. And I really was grinding my teeth because I was fighting a boss that was way too hard. And if I'd had the right weapon, it would have been a lot easier. And I just got really, really frustrated because I there's no way to know. Like, you just don't know. And on top of that, some items don't even appear until you buy the previous item. So you're not even sure like what's coming. And so it's hard to make a really informed decision. And if you make a mistake, you're kind of fucked. Uh, you cannot just grind for money. That's impossible. There's only a certain, there's only like, I don't know, like 30 coins in the entire game. And if you can't find them, then fuck you basically. Yeah. Um, the other thing that makes it really hard is that the bosses have a degree of randomness to them. So like they do certain attacks. You can recognize the attacks. Like when a boss raises his left arm, that means he's going to strike left. If the boss raises his right arm, he's going to strike right. Like you can, you can learn those things and it's fine, but they also change the order in which things come. And for a boss game in which you have to recognize the patterns and get really good at practicing, it did kind of fuck me up for a while. Cause I, you would have to learn like every single tell you'd have to remember which move signaled what. And sometimes you would be like, Oh, he always does three bullets after he punches and he does that every single time. But then like on the fourth time that he'll do it, it'll be like, he'll change the pattern again. And so like, you're, you're ready to do one thing and dodge a certain way. And then he does a different move and then it fucks up your pattern. And then you're like, Oh wait, I don't know what he's doing now. What's going on. And you just have to try and die and try and die and try and die. I mean, on these bosses, they're not all as hard as they look, but some of them were definitely much harder than others. I mean, I think it was not unheard of for me to die. Probably like, 50 times on a boss and just keep trying over and over and over and over and over until you finally would figure it out. 
it's not real fun. Like it's just, it just wasn't fun. Like I know people tell me, and these are usually like the hardcore dark souls kind of dudes who get off on the difficulty who are like, Oh, you just need to learn the pattern and you just need to get good. And that's the whole point of the game is getting good. But it's like, I, to me, it was like, is the point of the game to get good? Because if that was really the point of the game, you could practice on different difficulty levels. You could give people more options. You could let them approach it the way they wanted to and practice. Or is the point of it to clear an arbitrary skill bar that you have set? Meaning you need to have a certain degree of high eye-hand coordination. You have to have certain reflexes. You have to be fast enough. And to me, the game felt like they were, it was kind of like a dick measuring contest where if your dick was big enough, you could play this and get over it. And I did, and I did. But I don't think that it's good design. I don't think it's accessible. I don't think it's approachable. And honestly, if there was an easy mode, I would have put it on the easy mode because I would I would much rather take in the amazing animation and graphics and just have a good time playing it rather than like grinding my fucking teeth playing this game. And Gina thought I was, my wife Gina, thought it was fucking insane for playing this game. <laughs> Every day she'd be like, why the fuck are you playing this? Are you doing swearing and getting mad? And I'm like, I know, right? Like this game is terrible, but I just feel compelled to play it and I don't know why. So... It's not a fun game. I do not think this is a fun game. I don't think it's a well-made game. Um, I I think the graphics... Everything in this game hinges on the graphics. And if you like the graphics, then that is your reason to play it. And I did like the graphics. And I did play it because of that. But I did not have a good time. I don't think it's well-made in terms of, like, the mechanics. Because it's full of cheap deaths. It's full of um, just really, really high skill bars that you have to get over. And there's nothing really to do other than just get good. Which I think is a really shitty thing to do. Um, so not a fan. I don't think it's very well-made at all. Um, also, I will say that this is a game which forced me to bring back a technique which I have not used in decades, which is I got a hairband that my wife had for her long hair, uh, which is essentially a rubber band covered in cloth. And I got that on my Xbox One and I wrapped it around my controller to hold down the fire button continuously 100% of the time because there's no reason to ever not shoot. And so I just had this rubber band on my controller and everywhere I go, Cuphead was firing all the time because... <laughs> That's what you had to do. My finger was getting too fucking tired. So <laughs> I had this rubber band wrapped it around my controller and I played the entire game like that with Cuphead firing all the time, which again to me is like not really a great design because there's no real variation. There's no reason to not be firing. So there's it kind of shows like a lack of variation in the gameplay and a lack of pacing. So yeah, not a fan. I just don't like Cuphead. I mean, it's like I like the character of Cuphead. I think he's super cute. He's very likable, very appealing. The animation is godly, like fucking amazing animation. Like it looks like a million bucks, but the actual game itself, if this game did not look the way that it did, nobody on earth would have given two shits about this game. It would have been forgotten (laughs) in two seconds. People would have just told it to fuck off and moved on. Like the graphics absolutely saved this game from disaster. So I know that the guys who made this game almost went insane, almost went bankrupt. You know, I don't know if they got divorced or whatever, but like it was causing like major life trauma. And I know that they ended up selling like a million copies. So, I mean, I'm glad for their success. I'm glad. Hopefully that pulled them back from the edge. Hopefully they're doing okay now. Uh, But this is not a good game. And if the graphics weren't what they were, it would be, it would have been forgotten in an instant. And those guys would have just like been bankrupt. So Uh, overall, do not recommend it. Uh, Did not enjoy it. I I don't want to say it was hate play, but it was kind of a hate play. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I guess guess I'm glad I did it, but I would never play it again. So there you go. Cuphead. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts, Corey? You think I'm crazy now for playing it? What's what's your opinion? Uh, I don't think you're crazy for playing it, but I would be able to live my life perfectly well if I never heard anything about this game ever again. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I just really liked the way it looked, and I really I mean, I was sick, I was I, feverish, 
not thinking straight and I just whatever whatever <laughs> I just ended up doing it so anyway that was Cuphead um, I'm glad I got through it and I'm certainly glad I finished it and I you know yeah I did the whole thing and I can speak with authority that I just don't think that's a very good game so anyway that's all the games we have to talk about um, we do have some listener comments to move on to before we wrap up the show are you ready to transition into listener comments I am ready all right cool quickly first just uh, we got a couple comments from people I uh, wanted to say thanks to Drew Universe for his comments. Also, thanks to Morgan Lungu, who gave us uh, some really lovely comments. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reaching out. Absolutely appreciate it. Uh, we did get a, uh, a comment from Finder, a frequent listener of the show, Finder. He says, hey, guys, I love your podcast, but I do have a request. Can you please mention the name of the game you were just talking about when you wrap it up? Sometimes I struggle to find the starting point where you mention the name after you've talked up something that's interesting. 100% agree. I, I assume you agree also, Corey? Yes, this is a good uh, a good suggestion, and I'm also going to go out on a whim and say that I think maybe the suggestion was born out of whenever you talk about like 10 games in a row and talk about them each for 30 seconds because it's probably hard to keep track of them whenever you're talking about so many at once. <laughs> yeah, I fully admit I, I have been absolutely guilty of not saying the name of a game, and he is 100% correct. Uh, that is something that we absolutely should do. We should get better at. So thank you very much for the feedback. I have made adjustments to the notes and we may slip up, but I am going to try my best to mention the name of a game before and after. I'm sure Corey, you will do the same because that is something that is very important for our listeners and also giving due respect to the game we're talking about. So 100% yes. Thank you for the feedback. We are going to do that. Yeah. And uh, worst, worst case scenario, by the way, if we forget to, even though we'll try really hard to moving forward, um, I know this isn't a perfect solution, but all the games we talk about are always in the show notes too. So at least at the very least, you'll have a list down there that says in the order that we talked about them in case we forget to uh, say the title after we finish talking about a game too. For sure. For sure. And that's not an excuse. We should do better, but that is absolutely the fallback in case we forget. They're always in the show notes. Corey does an awesome job of that. But we will try to fix that. So thank you for the comments. Um, Corey, I'm going to read this one and I'm going to let you answer because I actually forgot to write down my answer. So I will <laughs> collect an answer while you are answering this. Uh, this comes from Andrew Hyatt. Thank you for your question, Andrew. He says, stranded on a tropical island alone and forever, <laughs> which is pretty pretty harsh, kind of sad and lonely. Um, you can bring with you two games. The only stipulation is that you do not have internet access. Obviously, the games fully work and have appropriate setups to work forever. Okay, so no porn, but you got games that work forever. You can pick two. Uh, Andrew says, my games, Final Fantasy VII for the PS1. It's a personal favorite. It's long, and it has good diversity in story, area, minigames, and whatnot. Yes, you can probably breed Chocobos forever. Uh, secondly, GTA San Andreas, large map and lots to do. I love San Andreas, so that's a good pick. Those are Andrew's two Desert Island games. Corey... What are your two Desert Island games? And talk for a few minutes because I have not so, I have not selected my <laughs> Desert Island games yet. So I go. was I was gonna suggest that we try to guess each other's Desert Island games, but I really don't think I could guess yours. Um, I was gonna well, go say ahead and try because I don't have any ideas. So go ahead. I the first thing that popped up into my mind was perhaps Overwatch, but he specified in the question that it can't be like a multiplayer game. It has to be like a standalone game. And Overwatch doesn't really work unless you're playing with other people. Um, but, I mean, we, we've podcasted so much, but I don't know, like, if I had to say, hey, you have to take the single-player game on an island, I really don't know what other guesses I would make for you. Maybe, um, probably, like, Mass Effect 1. 
Um, and uh, and maybe like uh, I don't know what other game to say for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what other game to say for me. You you answer yours, and I'll keep working on mine. I think I've got a few ideas here, but go ahead. What what are your two? Uh, my first one. Well, I got, the first one's going to be Deus Ex. I mean, hands down. Uh, Human Revolution, yes. Of course, yeah. It could not be anything else because you already play it in a desert island way right now as it is. So you, you're constantly playing that game. That could easily carry you for the rest of your life, right? Yeah, it it already has been and it will be. So okay, um, that makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah, I think I struggled a little bit with my second guess, but I think if I had to choose a second one, it would be more of a classic and. I'm going to go with Resident Evil 4 on this one. Mm, okay. Because it is, it's just a classic. Like, you can go back and play it today, and it feels just as good as it did when it came out in, like, 2004 like, or whenever it came out. Like, I mean, I would choose, like, the HD version probably on PS4 if I had to, but it just, fe- it just feels so good, and it's a, it's a good length of a game. It has enough little gameplay variation. It's always intense. Uh, I, it's another game that I go back and play every once in a while. So my two would probably be Deus Ex Human Revolution and Resident Evil 4. Okay, so honestly speaking, I don't think that I could ever play any two games for the rest of my life. Like, no matter what game I picked, I would eventually get sick of it. I mean, <laughs> the longest thing that I've ever played is Marvel Puzzle Quest. So that's been about four and a half years, um, still going. But my play has really reduced on that. Like, I'm not nearly as obsessive about it as I used to be. I kind of check in every day to get my free rewards, but I play it like a fraction. So, I mean, four and a half years... It's a long time, very long time, but that's not enough to like, you know, that's not a lifetime on a desert island, but that wouldn't be what I picked. Um, I think I would probably pick, number one, Fallout New Vegas, because I think the writing in that game is amazing. It's a huge, huge game, and there's many different ways you could play it, and there's lots of stuff to discover, lots of random stuff that happens too, and even though I've played it, uh, I think I've, co- I've played it to completion at least once, and I've put in a big chunk of time a second time, there's still so much to do. So many different builds, so many different things to poke around in. It wouldn't it wouldn't sustain me forever, but I could probably play that for quite a while and just, you know, go around with different companions, try all the different quest lines that I didn't do, find all the hidden items, make the best guns. I mean, it would be busy work for sure after a certain point, but I, I could put a pretty good amount of time into that one. Um, I think the other game that I probably would pick if we were talking about a Desert Island situation, um, I mean, it would probably have to be Monster Hunter. Um And I'm not sure exactly which version I would pick. I mean, possibly Freedom Unite, because that one is a favorite, but probably more like Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, because it has the most content. And people often say, including myself, that when you start a weapon, you learn that weapon, it takes a long time to learn it and master it. And if you change weapons, it's like it's like a whole new game. And that's really true. So I think there are like 12 or 14 different weapons in Generations Ultimate. And I am good with maybe two or three out of 14 and not even like I've mastered them, but I'm just like, but I'm pretty good, you know? So, I mean, if I took the time to master each weapon and then moved on to the next weapon and mastered that, and then on top of that, there are so many fucking monsters in that game. Like, I don't even know how many monsters there are, but there's like monsters and monsters and monsters and monsters. And when you get to the upper tiers, they get so fucking deadly. Like you would have to like know all of their moves, be able to dodge them perfectly and just have the right gear and grind out that gear first beforehand. I mean, that game... I could easily sink probably a thousand hours into, if not more. Um, and, you know, again, at some point I would get sick of it and wouldn't want to play anymore. And I would just sit on the beach and 
you know, eat coconuts and stare off into the distance and hate life or whatever. But <laughs> I mean, I could probably squeeze a good amount of time out of that. So I think those would be my two Monster Hunter just for the mechanics that would keep me engaged. And I think Fallout New Vegas for the story aspect that would keep me engaged. So those would be my picks. So there is that. Thank you for the question, Andrew. Hope we've answered that. And we're going to round out the show with a monster of a letter that came from superfan, number one superfan, Jeroen, uh, who I believe is still in Germany. Uh, we haven't heard from Jeroen for a while, but he got back in touch, said, hey, guys, I am still alive. I'm still listening. Good <laughs> to hear that you're still out there, Jeroen, which is amazing. Um, he's got a number of things, a uh, real long section here, and we're going to wrap the show right up after this. Um, so, Jeroen, I just want to say, first off, we did have to edit your letter for length because uh, it was really long. We love getting it. We read it. We thought it was great, but we could not read the entire thing on the show because it was just too long. So apologies if we edited that stuff out. Also, he began the email with a very long um, comment about my brother. I talked about my brother on the show a while ago and the difficulties that he and I have. Uh, so Jeroen weighed in with his opinion. He had some good advice. Thank you very much for the advice, Jeroen. I'll take it to heart. Uh, so thank you for those those comments. I'm not going to read that out, but thanks. We got it. Definitely heard what you said. So thank you. Uh, he wants me to start off by asking you a series of four questions, Corey. Are you prepared for this? Uh, I am not, but we'll see how it goes. Okay. So I guess I guess just uh, we'll just kind of short answer our way through this real quickly here. He says, hey, Corey, not sure if it got this right, but have you worked for Target? Drew, have you ever listened to the show? <laughs> Brother, have you ever heard this fucking show? He talks about Target every goddamn episode. Man. Of course he works for Target. Which is says, funny because we incidentally talked about Target Extra like, like, this Like nine episode. times. Nine times this episode. Yeah, and in, in the banter specifically, which will come later. But <laughs> All right. So he says, have you worked for Target since I think I've heard you mention this on the show once? That's his question. Have you ever worked for Target? Uh, yes. How, how did he know? <laughs> all right moving on next question how did you become such a great parkour skateboarder which needs clarifying because you were a parkour but you were not a skateboarder were you uh say that again you cut out a little bit oh i'm sorry he said how did you become such a great parkour skateboarder and i said i remember you doing parkour but i don't remember you doing skateboarding can you clarify uh i never did skateboarding um i did parkour for uh, probably like five years in college um Never would classify myself as a great parkour athlete. I was very mediocre, um, but I didn't, I never skateboarded. Uh, and if he wants an honest answer of how, um, I just went out and did it. I know that's a terrible answer, but um, watched online tutorials and kind of got a, a knack for the move set and then slowly progressed to more difficult moves over time. But I can't, although I photograph skateboarding a lot, I can't, if I set foot on a skateboard, I would break my neck or my arm or both. Um, yeah, so yeah. I stay away from being on skateboards, but I am around them often. That is exactly why I stay away from skateboards too. So I feel you on that one. Next question. Seriously, can I stay and sleep at your place since you've taken homeless guys <laughs> if I'm ever in New Orleans? <laughs> um, I mean, I think probably yes uh i'm hesitant to let strangers stay here but i'm assuming that because you are a family man and you're married and you have kids and you seem to be living an okay life that if you were ever in this part of the country i feel like you could probably crash here i do have a queen-size air mattress and a couch and a spare bedroom um so probably, um, I don't know what the likelihood of that is, though. If, like, your decision to try to visit the United States is hinging on whether or not you can sleep in my house or not, 
um, or if you're just kind of throwing out some bullshit. But uh, if I can't sleep on your couch, Corey, then I'm not coming to the States. Yeah. I mean, maybe the stakes are high here, um, but probably yes. Uh, if you're ever serious about this, you can always email Brad and he can forward an email to me or you can email the show and we can kind of discuss it more. But I'm not sure if this is serious or not. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, he's got a comment about Poland. He says, hey, I want to comment real quick about Brad's recent love declaration about Poland and its game developers. Okay, so I'm going to read the rest of the comment, but I will, I will back up and we can talk about this. Uh, I'm going to just skip ahead because he did write a pretty fair amount here. and I'm going to just edit this for length real quick. He says, oh, just let me inform you. Poland is one of the three worst countries to be gay in in Europe. So that's that's alarming. Uh, very xenophobic. They don't take in refugees. Uh, pretty problematic when it comes to free press, gay rights, discrimination, and independent judiciary. There are lots of lovely people in Poland, but good luck finding them. And also, let's stop glorifying it. It's like saying that people from Alabama are tolerant and liberal. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he not only he not only corrected us about Poland, but he got an Alabama slam in there as well. So that's a good two for uh, Jeroen. Uh, just, so just to clarify, I've never been to Poland. I don't know anything about Poland as a country. My only experience with Poland has been from the game developers that have come to PAX. And I mean, I've had nothing but good experiences with them. Now that said, I am, I, I appear to be a white guy. We've never talked about my sexuality uh, with, with any Polish developer. So maybe those things would be a problem if we had gotten into more of a, uh, you know, more of a friendship or maybe if we had spent more time together. My only experience is like going up to the Polish game booth, having a lot of laughs with these guys, them seeming very unusual in terms of being game developers, you know, in, in comparison to like, American developers or Japanese developers, they have the very distinct kind of personality uh, and they're very noteworthy. So I don't know anything about Poland as a country. I don't stand up for Poland as a country. I can only speak from my personal experience with these developers. And I thought they were pretty cool, uh, but I'm not disputing what you're saying. It's probably true. I don't know anything about it. And I would, I would very much uh, take your advice on that. So uh, not signing off. I'm not a, you know, Polish citizen at a distance or I don't, you know, I don't have the Polish flag in my, in my house or anything like that. Just my, my limited exposure has led me to believe that these guys seem pretty cool, but I can easily see how that might not be true. Corey, do you have an opinion on Poland? Uh, literally none. My only exposure to Poland is what I've heard from you on the show. Um, I had never had plans to visit and especially now that I hear this stuff about it. So, um, that's pretty much my limited knowledge. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying. Thank you for the tip off. I probably will never visit Poland and, <laughs> I will keep that in my mind if I ever have a situation where I need to like weigh weigh that in. So uh, let's see, Corey. I will ask your opinion on this. He says, "Hey, this is a weird hypothetical question. Would you join the army, or I mean, or if your country drafts you? I mean, I guess drafting you don't really get a choice, but I guess I guess basically, would you join the military if there was a legitimate cause? For example." A North Korean invasion of Seattle and New Orleans simultaneous two fronts. <laughs> the two most uh, important cities in the United exactly. States, by the way. That's exactly what he said. He said these are the most important cities in the U.S., Seattle and New Orleans, because that is where we live. Yes, I agree with you, Jeroen. Would there be any situation possible for you to join the Army? Uh, Corey, your thoughts. Um, I mean, I feel like if like, I absolutely had to, I would. Um, I have a lot of very conflicted feelings about armed forces, not only in the United States, but just, like, in the world at large, um, most of which I will not share on the show because I have a lot of thoughts. Um, but, you know, if, for example, there were some foreign invasion in the city, I'm sure I would. Um, but something to keep in mind also is... 
I probably, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do in the army. It's not just, you know, shooting people on the front lines. So I would, I mean, I know how to handle guns. Like I've been shooting guns for a long time, so I can do that. But I would figure that I would probably be more valuable in other capacities. Um, you know, doing some kind of like intelligence running or I don't, I don't even know what else. There's so many things you do that aren't, because a lot of people, when they think of the army, they think of just shooting people. And that's like a very small slice of what people do in armed forces. So um, I would probably be better used somewhere else. Um, I'm not thrilled. I wouldn't be thrilled about the idea of joining, but um, should the occasion arise, I probably would. As for me, um, I... You know, it depends. Um, I understand that there would be, you know, potentially a need to defend our own country, and that makes sense to me. Uh, I mean, if somebody was like, like, if boats were like literally pulling up in Puget Sound here in Seattle, and like foreign troops were getting off the boats and killing people on the waterfront, like, yeah, I mean, maybe I would pick up a gun and try to defend my city. Or if there was like some kind of armed conflict, I mean, if it was about like legit defense, or if we were like saving people, like if there was some kind of like, a real serious thing that was going down that needed like actual help, like for real, like, you know, maybe possibly, but I think America has a real bad habit of getting involved in conflicts where they don't need to be involved and sending troops where they don't need to go. So I would not be up for any of those things, which I feel like is meddling in other people's business. Or if we were trying to like tilt the political aspect of a country, or if we were just starting shit or if it was for oil or some shit like that, no way. Also, like, I would have to, like, really believe in the cause because I don't think that, I mean, Donald Trump could tell me anything right now and I would be like, no, I'm not doing it because fuck you, Trump, and I'm not going to support whatever you're doing because you're a fucking crook and a criminal. So, like, just if the president just is like, oh, yeah, we're having a war, we need people to sign up, go for it, I'd be like, no, no way. Like, I mean, but if it was, like, protecting my friends and family, protecting, like, my home, my, my neighbors, my, my literal countrymen... Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I would do whatever was necessary. I mean, if they needed me on the front line or if they, you know, if I could serve a better purpose, you know, organizing something or, you know, I have other skills that might be of use to the army in some way. I mean, yeah, OK, maybe if it was like a legit cause, but I would never just join the military just just for shits and giggles. And I certainly would not go to fight just because Donald Trump felt like he needed to, like, start some shit in some country to, to measure his own dick. So uh, very limited circumstances. But if there was a legit need, I mean, I would. Um for sure, which kind of which kind of segues into his next comment, which is thank you for liberating us in 1945, to which I say <laughs> um, I personally was not involved. But both of my <laughs> both of my grandfathers say you're welcome because they both fought. I mean, most people in my family were in the military. Uh, Corey, do you have any thoughts about liberating him in 1945? Or? Uh, I know my mom's dad was in the army. I can't remember what status he had. Um but I also never met him, so he might say you're welcome. Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess we will pass. We will pass those sentiments on to the members of our family who were in the armed services. Sounds like both of us had some uh, military background there. So, okay, you're welcome for liberation. <laughs> uh, final comment from Droon. He says, hey, you guys are always pretty, ne pretty negative about your own country. I have met many Americans in more than 35 states while road tripping and so forth. And never have I met a more friendly, polite, and helpful people. Well, maybe the Australians. But I still like <laughs> Americans. They're, I feel like they're positive and have a can-do attitude. Can you tell me one or two things that you yourself are proud of about your own country? There must be something. So, Corey, are there two things about America that you are proud of? Um, yeah, I'm unprepared for this question, actually. Um, 
Uh, you want to go first, or you want to you want to? Yeah, about? you go first. So one thing that I am in general proud of. Now, understand that I feel like America is in a really bad position right now. I feel like we're in probably the worst position we possibly have ever been in. Um, I would argue slavery. that. Prob- I was gonna say I'd argue that slavery is probably a worse position. Yeah, I mean since slavery, like since I mean that's a pretty long time. I mean you know it's not forever, but I feel like slavery was like probably the nadir of American existence. And I feel like we are like, this is like one step above. Like, we're not quite there yet, but we are fast tracking towards a really dark, really, like the worst timeline possible. Um, so I feel like America's in a really bad spot. But I will say the one thing that I really like about America, and I know this is probably not true across the whole country, but where I live in Seattle, I meet a lot of people who are really diverse. I meet people who are uh, of all colors, of all races of all backgrounds. I meet queer people. I meet straight people. I meet people in between. I meet immigrants. I meet people with disabilities. I meet millionaires. I meet homeless people. And I mean, part of that is my job because I meet a lot of people in general, but I love the diversity. I love that here in America, at least for now, we have a wide variety of people of all kinds. And I feel like I cherish that diversity. I love meeting these people. I feel like my life is better for having met these people. And I feel like I, I am personally enriched by meeting all these kinds of people. And not every country is as diverse as that. There's not that level of mixture. Um, hopefully we will maintain that and keep that here in America. So I do like that a lot. Um, one other thing that I really like about America is I do feel like it's beautiful. I feel like there's a lot of really beautiful places here in America. I mean, the whole world is beautiful. I'm not, I'm not saying America over everybody else, but like here where I live in the Pacific Northwest, I love the ocean. I love uh, trees. I love the green. I love just having this this wonderful environment, the mountains and stuff like that. And I, I just think it's really great. So I do love where I live, like in the way that it looks. And I also love the people that are here. I love being surrounded by such diversity. So those are two things that I think are great about America for the moment. Hopefully those things will continue. Um, have I bought you enough time, Corey? Did you come up with something? Uh, maybe. Um I think that something I like about America is that no matter how awful things seem, there's a pretty large contingent of people that are always trying to be positive and sort of like seek the truth and uh, communicate that truth far and wide and try to clear up like mysteries that I don't know, white billionaires are trying to impose upon everybody. Um, because it's easy to be really down and depressed about the United States and the world and the way things are going. Um, And like, I'm not one that's always trying to be positive about things or, you know, I mean, I try to, but I'm not always, Uh, but I'm glad that there are people that are, and there are people that are trying to um, like be realistic and try to pick other people up and stuff like that and try to advocate for, Um, Like, one thing that I love is when people advocate for rights that they don't, that they already have, that they recognize that other people don't have. Like, for example, I'm not just saying this because I'm gay, but whenever, like, straight people are very adamant about, like, gay rights or, like, trans issues or whenever white people march for, like, people of color and stuff like that, um, because it's really easy to be in a space where you have privilege for one reason or another, whether you're born with it or whether you earned it. And then you suddenly forget about everybody that has, um, I don't know, has issues that that don't affect you. And so you think that you don't need to address them, but it makes it easier for everybody. I mean, that's like the de- definition of equity. It like makes it easier for everybody if everybody recognizes other people's struggles and um, advocates for 
um, you know, just like better treatment across the board uh, among people. So I'm glad that there's a lot of people that advocate for that stuff on a regular basis in the United States because it's not always easy and it's not always possible um, to like actively do that kind of stuff. Um, and I mean, for I guess I can kind of piggyback off of your comment about America being beautiful. I would just say like it is geographically um, diverse. Uh, because I've heard, like, if I listen to podcasts with people that live in, like, London or something or people that live in other countries, um, I've heard people talk about how they like America because, like, like America is, like, kind, I mean, it's big, but it's also, like, pretty small. And it has, for how big it is, it has a really diverse landscape. You know, we have beaches, we have snow, we have mountains, we have deserts, we have, you know, cities, you know, concrete jungles full of... Um, skyscrapers and steel and we also have uh, planes where you can drive for six hours and not see anything not see any trees not see any hills um, so I like the geographical diversity that America offers and I think it's sad that I mean me and other people I know there's a lot of people that don't get to take advantage of it you know like I didn't see a mountain with my own two eyes until I was like 20 I think so um, I had never seen a mountain for that long. Um, I don't think I've ever been to a desert. So it's just like, all like compared to people that like live in, you know, other countries where they don't have that kind of geographical diversity and they have to like fly across an ocean to get there. You know, we have it all right here in America, but it's not always easy to, or, or cheap or affordable or practical to get to to visit. So um, that's one thing I guess I'm thankful for is the... Uh, geographical diversity of the United States. All right. There you go, Jeroen. We've had two things. I will also say cherry pie is pretty kick-ass. So there you go. There's three things uh, that are good about America. So hopefully that has answered your question. Also, thank you for your comments. Thank you for your lengthy email. And we are very fortunate to have you as a listener. So uh, much love for you, Jeroen. <laughs> and I think uh, that is going to be it for the show because I'm starving and I'm really in the mood for steak tacos right now. So we better wrap <laughs> the show up. Uh, anything before we close, Corey? Uh, I just want to say thank you again to everybody who was so uh, sent us thoughtful uh, messages about our episode 100, part one and part two. Um, and thank you to everybody who was happy with Patrick and Gina coming on. Um, it really meant a lot to us to see and to them um, for your guys' comments and your feedback and, you know, being excited about having them on the show and their willingness to come on the show. So I know we said it earlier on the show, but I just want to say thank you again to both to them and to everybody for sending in the comments um, to, I don't just celebrate that with us. It felt really good. So thank you. Yeah, that was amazing. I am uh, everything you said, ditto. Yes. I'm glad that we could open up our life a little bit to our listeners and glad that everybody was sharing in that and, and having such a good time. I know that they, uh, I don't know about Patrick, but Gina had a good time afterwards. I know she was really hesitant to come on, but I'm glad that uh, she came on. I think she did a great job, and I look forward to uh, doing spouse segment again in the future. So maybe we can uh, do that again for sure. Uh, but that will bring us to the end of this current show. In the meantime, please remember to send your thoughts, comments, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. We read it all. We really do. We read every single bit. And we love getting comments from people. So if you listen and you want to say something, say something, and you will reach us, guaranteed. Uh, you can hit us up at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com once the show goes up there. We're also on Twitter collectively, at sovideogames, but you can also reach us individually. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram under the same handle. It's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. Uh, Corey, where are you at on Twitter and Instagram? 
Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram and Twitch, even though I talked about it last time, but I have not streamed <laughs> since the last show, and I don't know if I ever will. But my username across pretty much all my platforms is also my first and last name. It's Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. All right, excellent. And that brings us to the end of another So Video Games, a rather epic episode, I must say. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, also, stick around for the banter if you're so inclined. we got a lot of good content back there. Not necessarily games-related, but it is some good stuff. And my son, Whitaker, does have two uh, nine-year-old perspective video game reviews. Uh, so check those out if you like. But in the meantime, this is Bye from Brad. And Bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. I have some stuff. I didn't have anything for you in the notes for banter, but I assume you have some banter. How are you, how's your banter looking today? Uh, light and roasty like the coffee that I'm drinking. <laughs> light and roast, but not citrusy, I hope. Uh, I don't think so. I'm drinking, I've brought this up on the show before, but my go-to coffee, and I don't drink coffee often. Usually I just, actually the only time I drink coffee is like pretty much when I'm podcasting or sometimes I'll drink like iced coffee at work, but we have a Panera and like the food court. That's weird to say food court because it makes it sound like I work in a mall. But we have like a because I work at a university. Um, we have like a f- I work in the building that has like one of the food court areas in it, and mm. we have a Panera. But the Panera's iced coffee, I like it, but it gives me heartburn every time I drink it. So I'm trying. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to not drink it. I'm just not drinking it anymore. Um, so yeah, usually I just drink coffee on weekends. Now that I think about it, but I guess what I was trying to say is that I like. Uh, Archer Farms is a Target-specific brand, and they have a pumpkin spice coffee that man, comes you out. Man, are, you are like... like they, Target but, never knew what they got when they hired you, man, because not only did they get like a great manager and a key holder at some point, but like <laughs> they got like Target soldier for life. Like Every time I'm like, Corey, what's your favorite? Well, there's this Target brand that like, damn, dude, you yeah. are like the hardcore Target dude. It's true. I mean, there's a few... I know a lot more than any reasonable person should know about Target and I I haven't even worked there for like I think it's been like three ish years at this point that I haven't worked there but I also worked there for like 11 years or 10 years or something like an absurd amount of time especially for how young I am that is a long ass time yeah Yeah. but they they just have like a few staple things because they have a few brands there they have Archer Farms which is their like kind of in-house like food brand and they have every uh, winter or like every like August to, I don't know, December or something, they bring out Archer Farms pumpkin spice coffee. And usually I'm not like a big pumpkin spice guy, uh, but I love that coffee. And every time it comes out, I buy like five bags of it to hold me over all year because I don't because it only launches for a limited amount of time. And they also have a really good salsa, oddly enough, like they have Archer Farms salsa and they have like a really spicy like habanero one that I love, even though it kind of kills me for days after I eat it, but it's so good. And they have like a, like a pepper, like a zesty pepper salsa that I really like. And I don't know, it's just like they reel me in with those weird things because it's not stuff I can find in any grocery store. Like I have to go to Target specifically like to get the coffee that I like, to get the salsa that I like. Um, I feel, I think those are the big, the two big ones, which is kind of weird. Cause like 
coffee and salsa. Um, salsa is not something I use or eat daily, but uh, those are, yeah, like Target is, I don't know, forever has a special place in my heart and in my stomach, I guess. You need to get in touch with like your old contacts over there and be like, look, yo, we talk about your shit like every episode. <laughs> we are constantly pimping Target. Can we get some underwriting? You guys want to sponsor us? Because I would be like, I would be happy to do the So Video Games podcast sponsored by Target. Like, that would be fine if I got a little, <laughs> couple little bucks on that. We could totally do that. I mean, we're halfway there already. So you should give them a call. See if there's something we could, you know, mm. we could agree on. It might, it might happen. Well, considering we podcast about video games, some of the games we talk about are available at Target. So it's not like we're talking about things that people can't get from Target. So we can like, yeah, dude, every game we talk yeah. about at the very end. Okay, well, that's our wrap up on Spider-Man. Currently available at Target. I mean, we could totally say that like every time. Yeah. I mean, for a very affordable price too. Like, I don't think we would charge very much. I'm Maybe cheap. we could like come up with some kind of discount code. Like, oh, listeners of the show can get 10% off this video game we talked about this week using totally. the code Brad and Corey and I don't know what yeah, online yeah, checkout yeah. or you something. You go to Target.com and enter discount code Brad and Corey and get your 10% off. <laughs> like, dude, totally. That oh could be gosh. a thing. All right. Call, call your Target folks and then let me know what they say. Unfortunately, I don't think I have. I don't think I know anyone at Target who is high enough to get that kind of deal. And like the thing about Target too is like, the people that run headquarters, that's based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the people who run headquarters and like the people who run stores, there's like a huge disconnect between, and this is probably true for like any like massive retailer um, where, you know, like we would get like district visits every once in a while. And like, I, th I, I don't think those people actually work at headquarters. Like I think they work at district offices there may be like one every few states or something like that. Cause I know they fly around to do it, but the disconnect between like store management and actual like headquarters stuff is very long and strange and bizarre. So I'm not too sure if I could actually like get in contact with anybody from headquarters. Yeah. Well, you know, any company like that, the higher up you go, the crazier it gets and the more eccentric the people are. So that doesn't, that does not surprise me at all. I'm sure that if you actually went to like, the Target family or whatever, Mr. Target's house or something. It would be like, <laughs> Mr. Target. he would like have an indoor jungle and he'd be like running around there naked, just like living out his weird fantasies with all the money he reeks in from his fucking stores or something. It would probably, you know, yeah. room full of trampolines or he's got like, you know, 42 like Jaguars in his backyard and he feeds them raw meat every day. Who knows? Who knows what those probably. fucking people do with their yeah. money, you know? He would do that while all of his cashiers make minimum wage across the country. That's definitely oh, yeah. the way America works. Absolutely, 100% for sure. Um, just to circle back also, you mentioned that that coffee gives you heartburn and that you, the salsa will kill you for days. Let me just tell you, <laughs> speaking as uh, someone uh, coming to you from 10 years in the future, that only gets worse as time goes on. Oh, like, I, yeah, the stuff, The stuff that you love eventually hurts you and kills you because, like, you know, like, I got to be real careful about eating, like, anything fried or, you know, stuff that I would, like, inhale when I was younger, just, like, without even a second thought and just move on with my day, go work out, lose weight, you know, whatever. And, like, now it's like, oh, my God, you eat, like, a little bit too much sugar here, a little bit too much fat there, and your stomach is just, like, trying to kill you from the inside. So you have that to look forward to. Yeah, I think I'm sort of, like, for the past couple of years have just been hitting, like, the first stages of that because, uh, like, I, I mean, I didn't used to drink coffee a lot. I've never been one of those people who, like, 
you know, is wait, because this, this is something that like low key annoys me are people who are like, oh, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee in the morning. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> off. Like, give me a fucking break. Like, I, I mean, I get that like coffee can be like addictive and stuff. You know, the same goes for like soft drinks and, every, sure, and everything. Sure. Um, but that's just, that's just fucking stupid. Just, that's yeah, stupid. it just really annoys me. But I, I'm getting to that point already where I think heartburn is the big thing for me that like spicy stuff and certain coffee and even certain alcohol, um, that I drink will give me heartburn and I it, like it used to not have that effect on me. So it's like, there's like stage one of getting older is getting heartburn with food oh, that I used dude. to love that I can't anymore. So fucking true. Yeah. When me and Gina started creeping up on it, like, you know, we both had had the, the, the typical teenage stomach of iron or whatever. And then once we started getting a little older, we're like, God, we're getting heartburn all the time. This is so weird. What's going on? And like, once we looked at our diet, we're like, well, of course we're eating like teenagers and we are not teenagers anymore. Uh, and it made like a huge difference. Like if you start, I mean, for us anyway, once we started being a little more selective about what we're eating, like watching fat and dairy and sugar, like it really, it cut way down. And if I'm having like a good two weeks where I'm being real good, I can have no heartburn at all. Like it never used to be a thing, but like once you like fall down, it's just like constant and awful and bad. And it's just, it's just like constant torture. So yeah, heartburn is uh, really, really like probably like one of the worst parts of like getting older in the beginning, at least. I'm sure there's worse stuff to come, like arthritis or just like you know cataracts or some shit. But like I don't know, heartburn is pretty bad right now, so that's enough of a deterrent. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so what else you got on the docket, man? What else is on your plate today? Um, as usual, I was thinking about stuff I want to talk about and. Um, I think the only, like, big thing that I can, like, bring to the show officially for banter is um, I saw A Star is Born, uh, Bradley Cooper and oh, Lady yeah. Gaga's movie. Oh, yeah. How was it? Um, it was very good. I, I'm i not one for musicals. Like, I don't... Because, I, mean, te- I mean, technically the movie is a musical. It's not, like, a cheesy musical. Like, it's not like Moulin Rouge or something where people are just going about their day and then suddenly, like, they break into song and it's a big dance number and everything. Like, it's not like that because... It's a musical, but the people in the film are musicians, so, like, it makes sense that they would be singing, so that's something that I liked about it. It wasn't just, like, oddly shoehorned in songs in the middle of, like, really serious scenes, Um, so that made it more palatable for me, for someone who does not like musicals, but um, I basically, obviously, I went and saw it because Lady Gaga is, like, the main headliner in it. I think she's actually billed above Bradley Cooper in the film, even though, I mean, you could argue that he's the main character. Yeah, I think... She, I mean, she's you, clearly the bigger star. Yeah, and she is. And he... But it, the fascinating thing is it's also his directorial debut. So not only is he a leading character, but he directed it, too, which I think is pretty fascinating. Um, and, like, Bradley Cooper is one of those guys who, like... I wouldn't say that he actively, his presence in a movie deters me from seeing a movie <laughs> because there are actors like, like Matthew McConaughey or Johnny Depp. Like if I know they're in a movie, I won't see it because I don't really like either of them. That sounds kind of terrible. Well, Johnny Depp, cause he's like, well, he's like a he, wife abuser. Yeah. Yeah. He has like abuse issues going on and that makes me not support him at all. Matthew McConaughey, as far as I know, he hasn't like done anything wrong. I just don't, really like him and that sounds yeah, terrible because yeah he's weird no i feel the yeah. same way i'm saying i'm on board <laughs> the hate train we're both passengers yes um but like bradley cooper he's like almost on that line where i'm like because i've never really seen him in anything that i've been like wow like bradley cooper um i mean probably the biggest thing i've seen him in is maybe 
Guardians of the Galaxy because he voices Rocket the raccoon in yeah. it, which is kind of fascinating. Um, maybe which that is such he... a weird choice. I think that's such a weird choice. And honestly, <laughs> I have not been a fan of his voice, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, maybe just the fact that I don't have to like see him in the movie makes it better, which is weird because he's like a conventionally attractive guy. It's not like he's some weird like oaf or anything. Like he's definitely a. <laughs> did you say he's... oaf? You literally I said oaf. I did say oaf. Yeah. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I don't... Nobody has said that word aloud since the Middle Ages, dude. You just brought oaf back. I did. Um, but anyway, back getting back to the topic at hand, um, I went to go see it because Lady Gaga, obviously I'm a huge Lady Gaga fan. And um, and not only that, but the movie has been getting like really great reviews. I think it has like a 90 plus percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like uh, people seem to enjoy it. Um, and for those who don't know, uh, this is actually like the fourth time the movie's been remade. I, it was done with Barbara Streisand. Um, I can't remember who else it was done with, but it's like every like 20 years or so, it seems to be getting remade, but like kind of tailored for the modern era. And in this version, I mean, all the versions are pretty much the same from what I've read online. I haven't seen the old ones, but, um, in this version, Bradley Cooper is kind of, he's a kind of like a country rock singer and he's... He's a really big celebrity, but he's kind of at the beginning of the movie. He's kind of on like the, I don't want to say the downfall of his career, but he's kind of like seems to be like already past his prime of his career. Maybe that's the best way to put it. And he's also an alcoholic. He also has some like mental health issues. And um, he, after one of his shows, he goes to some club cause he wants to get drunk and his driver takes him, uh, he just like finds some club at random and is like, Oh, take me there. I need a drink. Let's go. So he gets out, he goes in the club and it ends up being a drag club, which is pretty hilarious in the movie. Um, and Lady Gaga is a waitress at the drag club and she, but she performs every once in a while and he goes in on a night when she's performing and she's not in drag. Like she has kind of like a little bit of drag makeup on, but obviously she's not a man. So technically she, I mean, a, like women can do drag and that's a different thing. That's called like a bio queen, if you will. Um, but this is getting off topic. She does a performance. <laughs> he, <laughs> drag culture. Um, I know. He no, does... Keep going, dude. We're learning. Keep going. It's all good. It's all good. So she does a performance. He sees her and then it, he, you know, I don't know, falls in love with her or whatever. And then uh, kind of goes backstage to talk to her after the show. And the doorman at the club is like Lady Gaga's, her character, Allie, uh, like her kind of really good friend, maybe her best friend uh, in the movie. And so when he, and his name is, I don't know what the doorman's name is, but Bradley Cooper's character, his name is Jackson or Jack. Um, and when he goes there, the doorman like knows him cause he's famous. And so he wants to introduce him to Lady Gaga's character. So he goes backstage and talks to her while she's like taking all of her theatrical makeup off after the show and everything. And, and then eventually uh, she falls in love with him. She kind of goes on tour with him and she's a songwriter, but she doesn't feel confident about the music industry because she says in the movie that people keep telling her that she's not pretty enough to make it and that she'll never make it and her nose is too big and all this stuff. But because she goes on the road with him, she starts performing with him on stage. She kind of gets famous and then she starts kind of her own record career that's not really related to him. Um, you know, stuff and conflicts ensue, if you will, with their relationship. I'm not going to spoil how the movie ends, but... Uh, but I liked it. But the thing that I, the two things that I think are fascinating about this movie are a, I can't wait to see what happens whenever like Oscar season comes around, because even though the older I get sort of the less I pay attention to 
uh, movie awards shows like the Golden Globes and the BAFTAs and the Oscars because I kind of think they're bullshit, to be honest. Um, I am fascinated with this just because I like Lady Gaga so much and I have like, I don't know, feel like I have a stake in this because I like her a lot and I kind of want her to win something. Like I'm hoping that they win Best Original Song at the very least because she was nominated for an Oscar for a song that she did for documentary a few years ago and she lost it to a James Bond theme song sung by Sam Smith that was fucking terrible and I hope that she comes back (laughs) and like wins an Oscar and then just like, I don't know, punches Sam Smith in the face or something, even though it's not really his fault. It's the Academy, uh, the Academy's fault. Um, but the other thing that I think is really fascinating about this movie is that there, I've read so many articles talking about this movie as like a, like, like this movie and feminism as a whole, because at first, and this is the thing that I think is so fascinating about feminism is whenever people particularly women amongst themselves will disagree about whether something is feminist or not. And I love every time this discussion happens, I love like watching it unfold and like reading all the different pieces because at first, you know, the movie came out, Lady Gaga's a star. She's getting great reviews, blah, blah, blah. And people are saying like, Oh, this is obviously kind of a big thing for feminism, you know, for the greater good. Um, You know, just having a woman in a leading role in any capacity is definitely good for feminism. And then I saw a slew of articles that were talking about how the movie actually isn't feminist because Lady Gaga's character doesn't have very much agency in the movie. And because basically the movie is still about male gatekeepers in the music industry. And, you know, she has to have Bradley Cooper, Bradley Cooper's character kind of open the door for her and, and take her with him. And she also has this male manager. He's like this, I think he's Australian or maybe he's British in the movie, but he's kind of an asshole and he doesn't really pop up a whole lot, but basically the only time he pops up in the movie is to be an asshole and to like send everyone into discourse because he's a music manager and that's what they do, I guess. Um, And so People have been talking about how the movie isn't really a good mark for feminism because Lady Gaga's character doesn't really, like, get things on her own. She doesn't really, like, act on her own. She's kind of, like, pulled along by the male characters in order to uh, sort of, like, achieve fame. And then I've seen another take, which there's a female, an Asian female movie critic named Emily Yoshida, and she's probably my favorite movie critic to read. Um, she wrote a piece, or she didn't even write a piece. She was just tweeting the other day about how she thinks that most of the conversations that go on about women's agency in movies are bullshit. And she wrote this hilarious tweet. Oh, I can't say it because it'll spoil the movie. Oh, God damn it. Now I brought it up and I can't even go with it. Um, but she, long story short, is arguing that the movie actually has good feminist grounds because there's an event that happens in the movie that sort of allows Lady Gaga's character to take off and act on her own, if you will, and sort of like focus on her work. And I can't say what all happens, but I just think like the conversation at large, whenever it comes to like feminism in these states, always fascinates me because the thing that I find fascinating is that it's not like in this particular case, it's not women saying, hey, this is feminist. And then it's a bunch of fucking dude bros saying, oh, no, it's not blah, blah, blah. We hate women. It's like women saying this is feminist. And then other women saying this isn't feminist. And then other women saying, okay, maybe actually it is feminist. And whenever there's like a discourse and feminism, I think it's just really fascinating, especially when it's among women. Because obviously I don't have any stakes in this. I don't want to say whether it is or isn't feminism. I don't feel like I'm qualified to do that. But I just think 
these conversations are incredibly fascinating to like see unfold <clears throat> in real time across social media and articles and reviews and stuff like that. Well, I am certainly no expert, although I am definitely a supporter and in favor of. So I think that's great that there's a discussion happening. I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know exactly what the issues are. But the way you kind of laid it out definitely sounds like there's something to chew on on either side. So um, good stuff. I, I will refrain from commenting because I don't like to talk about stuff that I don't know about. And I don't know <laughs> about this. So in order to avoid embarrassing myself. But I will simply say it sounds like a good thing that this discussion is happening. And, I mean, you like the movie, though, right? It was a good movie. Yes, I did. I enjoyed it. Um, I did not. I thought that I was going to be like a crying mess during it, but I was not. Um, interestingly enough, probably because most of the conflict in the movie resides with uh, with um, Bradley Cooper's character and not so much with Lady Gaga's character. Um, but I do think it was great, and I'm sad that reported garbage movie Venom made like forty million dollars more than A Star Is Born, but on opening weekend, but uh, it's neither here nor there because we'll see which movie gets nominated for awards yeah. come awards season. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of unavoidable, too, because regardless of, 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 of A Star is Born, I mean, that's a movie with, like, it's about people, it's about characters, it's about a story. So there's, like, a certain percentage of the population is not going to see that movie no matter what because it's not going <laughs> to get the popcorn moviegoers, it's not going to get the action seekers. So it's already got a limited audience. And then on top of that, Venom is certainly... Um, coasting on the coattails of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And just, you know, for I'm sure everybody knows this, but it is not part of the MCU. Although it does have, you know, Marvel involvement and it's a Marvel character, but it's not involved in that. So uh, I think maybe there's probably a lot of people who probably just assumed it would be part of that and they're kind of hoping to get some of that same flavor, which, I mean, everybody I've talked to said it was hot garbage. And there's a couple <laughs> of people who've been like, it's so bad, it's good. But, like, fuck that. If it's bad, it's bad. So I'm not going to go see it. I mean, I might I might rent it if I'm feeling really bad about myself and I want to, like, you know, <laughs> just, like, wallow or something. But I, I'm not going to waste time on that right now. So, But speaking of feminism, uh, in a certain way, uh, I don't know if you know or not. You're not the biggest Doctor Who fan, are you? Uh, I have never watched Doctor Who. However, I am aware that for the first time in history, it is featuring a female doctor. Indeed, indeed. So I have, I'm, so I am, I guess I'm like a middle of the road Doctor Who fan because I was not really, <laughs> I've seen the old stuff and I was like, oh, you know, like sometimes like when I was a kid, like watching PBS, they would do like Doctor Who marathons when they were doing like fundraisers. And I remembered like, you know, watching like, oh, this is a fucking weird show. And oh my God, these special effects are terrible. And what's going on? And whatever. They're talking British. I can't understand them. And I would, you know, like kind of dip in and out, but it never really hooked me. And then when it rebooted, uh, I don't know, I, I mean, I, I have no idea how long ago it was, probably 10 years ago or whatever it was, when they rebooted um, for an all-new generation, I jumped aboard at that point, and I'm like, oh, this show is actually pretty cool. Like, it's got cool aliens, and the story seems, seems kind of fun, and so I started, I really got into it when they rebooted the show, um, I don't even know when it was, to, I have no idea. Anyway, um, so we watched, the wife and I watched the first four seasons of the rebooted series and that was really good and in, in fact if you watch all four of those years it all ties together like it's kind of one long overarching story and it really came together like in the most amazing way at the end so it was like it was like i rarely say this but it was really worth watching like four years of that show in a row to kind of get <laughs> to where you're going it was really good uh, we started watching the fifth season after the reboot, and it just was no good. They had a change in the writing team, and 
the actor that they had at that time, Matt Smith, was really good. I think he did a great job personally, but, like, they gave him shit material. He had, like, nothing to work with. And I was really not a fan of, like, the way that that show was going in general. So we stopped watching, dropped off it for a while. And I know everybody in the world knows this, but just to clarify, Doctor Who is the show where the actor changes, like, every so often. So, like, in the show, they'll say, oh, uh, this is the first Doctor, and he'll do X, Y, Z things. And whenever that guy wants to leave or whenever he, you know, gets too old or something, they'll be like, oh, he got killed in the show, but Doctor Who regenerates. That's, like, his, his shtick, right? So, like, every time he dies, he regenerates. And when he regenerates, he comes back as a new, as you know, like the same doctor internally, but like a new doctor. So it gives them the chance to keep the show going, but switch out the actor and just everybody's okay with that. So during the run that Gina and I watched, they changed doctors, I think, four times. So four different actors had played the doctor during that run. And then we stopped. Uh, the doctor changed, I want to say, I think maybe one more time during the time that we didn't watch. And now, I mean, I don't even know how many they've been through in the history of the series. They're probably up to 13 or 14 different actors playing the Doctor. But this newest one, like you just said, is played by, I believe her name is Jodie Whittaker. First time in history the Doctor has been played by a female. Uh, so we were already kind of thinking, oh, you know, we really are in support of that. Maybe we'll come back to the show and give it a chance. But the other cool thing was he heard that the writer who fucked the show up left. And so that was like <laughs> the biggest thing. Um <laughs> It's interesting because it was a real kind of like Kojima slash Lucas situation because when that guy, his name is Stephen Moffat, when he was working with a team on the four years that we liked, he was great. A lot of good ideas, a lot of cool shows. Some of the best episodes were written by him, and I think it was really wonderful. But clearly, like, like Lucas and Kojima, they need a team of people around them to keep them in check because once that team goes away and they're left to their own devices... They spiral out of fucking control and go mad and just like it gets it's it's terrible. It gets really terrible. Yeah. Um, so when this guy was on his own, Stephen Moffat was on his own. He drove the show into the ground, had terrible episodes, terrible writing, terrible ideas. It's awful, awful, awful. But he's gone. He's gone now. They got a new writer on board. And the first episode with the female doctor, really strong. It kind of got some of the old um, pre Moffat vibe back. And like we were like, we watched as a family, we were really excited. And I like uh, Jodie Whittaker is a great actress. Seems really good. Supporting cast seems really strong. I mean, so we're gonna we're gonna get jump back in and give it another shot. So we've been away for a while. Very very excited. Um, I mean, it's I don't know that this is something that I would recommend to you if you already don't like the show or whatever. Um, I mean, maybe it's time for you to jump in. Maybe not. But if you're a fan of the show, like I am, like the the newcomer, the Neo Who fan who got in with the reboot and perhaps fell away, this is probably a good time to come back. You you, you have an interest at all or no? I don't. I'm not really sure. Well, I mean, I guess, first of all, I don't watch a lot of TV as it is. But second of all, um, there's something about the vibe of the show that makes me think I wouldn't like it. And I have no evidence to cite. The only thing I can say is, like, the show seems to have too much, like, kind of like Harry Potter magic bullshit going on oh, for me to be of, able to get it, into it. Okay, it, yeah. okay. So maybe I'm not wrong in this because I'm not like I don't know. But I guess Doctor Who seems is it like more science fiction based or is it more fantasy based? It's like Star Wars where they say, "Oh, this is you know like it like if you look at it on the surface, it seems like." science fiction but when you actually really examine it it's like oh this is all complete fantasy <laughs> so it's the same thing it's like they're like oh yeah i'm an alien from another world and i've got these special high-tech tools and i've got a time machine but the more you look at it it's just like fantasy where they just like they bend rules whenever they want to and 
you know, weird stuff happens that doesn't quite make sense, but it's a really fun episode. And so you kind of like hand wave it away just because it's a good time. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not hard sci-fi in, in by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, maybe that's the, the vibe I'm getting that's kind of keeping me away because I'm not usually into sort of like that magic kind of stuff. Like I can handle like Star Trek because I would put that as like, I mean, I wouldn't call Star Trek like hard sci-fi, but it's like sci-fi but it's also pretty based in re i mean i'm gonna say based in realism even though they're like shooting photon torpedoes at the other side of the galaxy but you know what i mean um but there's like an element of like reality to it that's like heavily played into a show like star trek um whereas something like doctor who seems too fantastical for me yeah i would say that like i, I don't think star trek is like really hard sci-fi either but like i think doctor who probably ranks one, like at least one notch below like the quote unquote realism level of Star Trek. And I, I realize this is all bullshit that we're talking. Like, please don't email us. And you know, this is not, an, I, I get what we're saying. I know this is all TV. It's all fake. It's all fantasy, but like in this, in the spectrum of like what seems real ish and science E and not like Dr. Who is, I think even below those, like you come to that show. I mean, for my, in my opinion, you come to that show because you like the characters because they do a lot of fun stuff. They have some good banter, they, you know, they get into silly situations and it's just, it's just kind of like a fun show to watch. Like it's just a real good Sunday gather the family. If you like nothing ever really super offensive ever happens. And it's just really kind of a good time. So, I mean, in fact, I've heard many, um, British people tell me that in, in England, Doctor Who is seen as like a very much like a younger person's kids show, kind of a family show. And we kind of, you know, America kind of takes it a little more seriously than that. But mm, okay. so but it's good. I like it a lot. I, I hopefully the writing's going to stay strong. But uh, I did not think we were going to come back to Doctor Who after those horrible seasons that we put up with or didn't put up with because we bailed. But uh, it seems good. So we'll come back. That seems like a big win so far. Um, saw a couple of movies over the last Week the family everybody in the family has been sick for like the last week. Um, I probably have been the least sick, knock on wood, uh, uh, but not feeling super great myself. Uh, but still going to work. But my son got really sick, and my wife is still pretty sick. So we've all been just like laying low at home, and not really doing a lot. A little bit of cabin fever going on. I think we all kind of want to feel better, and we all want to like move on with our lives. But we're still mending. But we've been watching some movies um, in the interim, just like getting some tea, grabbing some soup, getting under a blanket, and just watching some movies. And yesterday we watched uh, Big Hero 6, which was from, I believe it's from Disney. Have you seen that one? I haven't, but I know what it is. That movie, we we waited for it to hit rental. It, it took a really, 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 really long time to hit rental. I think it was like at least a couple of years before oh, you could geez. rent it, which was ridiculous. Um it was one that we wanted to see. We didn't go see it in the theater, but we waited. And every time we check it to see if it was rental, nope, not yet, not yet, not yet. But it finally hit rental. So we checked it out. It was actually a lot different than I thought it was going to be. I think the trailers are cut in a certain way to give you a sense that the movie is different than what it actually is. Um, so in this one, it is set in a future alternate reality where, like, San Francisco and Tokyo are kind of combined into the same thing. And so this kind of this weird Asian fusion San Francisco, uh, which was pretty cool, like lots of neon and kind of like... I don't know, maybe like what a really nice version of Blade Runner would look like if you like had the sun out and you can see things and it was not <laughs> raining like a, like a daytime Blade Runner. But like all the creepy people went home and it was just the nice people left out. Like kind of kind of like that. Um, and this little uh, boy genius, uh, he was really good with robots and tech and stuff. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but basically he gets together with this like goofy, you know, soft marshmallow of a robot that is supposed to be like a healthcare robot. 
And instead he turns him into like kind of a superhero robot. But the thing that I did not understand and that the trailers don't really show is that they call it Big Hero 6 because it's not just the story of this kid and his robot, which is exactly what the trailers make it look like. It is actually the story of this kid forming a team of superheroes, and there are six of them, which is why it's called Big Hero 6. So, like, I did not know that's why it was called that. The trailers don't really show that. And when it happened in the movie, I was kind of, like, surprised. I was like, oh, there's actually, like, four other characters that you don't really even know exist, and they're actually a team, and it's not just about this little boy. And I was like, whoa, it was... It ended up being, like, a lot different than I expected it to be. And I got to say, it was pretty good. I really liked it. Um, I wasn't uh, expecting too much, but I thought it was very well done. I thought the character designs were really cool. The action was really good. Um, so for fans of animated films, it, it wasn't too kiddy. I didn't think. I mean, I, I was not bored. I didn't feel like really, you know, talked down to or anything. So if you like superhero, action-y, very... Um, I don't want to say like an anime-esque vibe, but like it had like a very superhero vibe. Um, and it was just really good, clean, wholesome action. And it was much more of a, a, a different sort of team film than I was expecting. So I did I did end up liking it. You, you said you haven't seen this one? I haven't. Um, I think, I feel like Patrick might have gone to see it while it was in theaters, maybe with a friend of his, but we lived in Omaha. And I don't, maybe whenever I saw the previews for it, because I, I like the aesthetic of the movie, but I don't, Maybe I thought, like, oh, this is going to be a little kid's movie. I'm too cool for that, um, and that's why I didn't see it. But um, I've noticed that the fandom around the movie seems to have lingered rather than it being something that just seems to have been forgotten upon exiting the theaters. I didn't realize there even was a fandom. Is there? Because I feel like I never hear about this movie ever. Like, And I'm in, like, some... I'm in some fucking like fan ass <laughs> circles on Twitter, dude. Like I, I, I got my tendrils on social media into several circles that maybe I'm not into myself, but I like to keep tabs on what's going on. And I never, I never hear about this. I don't see any fan art or hentai of any kind about this sort. Oh God, and, you know, because stuff will come across my feed, and I'm like, oh, geez, let's close this window, and because uh, you got you got to find out what people are into. And I just I never hear anything about this at all. Is there people still talking about it? Uh, I mean, I feel like I see maybe, like, GIFs and stuff of it on social media every once in a while. Um, mm. Hopefully I'm not making that up, but I don't know. Maybe it's just lingering in my mind and no one else's, despite the fact that I haven't seen it. I don't know. This is strange. This is weird. It deserves a better fate than it got because, I mean, my impression is that it kind of didn't do great for Disney. And I haven't heard any talk about a sequel. And, I don't, you know, there wasn't, like, a lot of merchandising for it. I mean, I'm sure there was some, but, like, it just didn't seem to really have the impact that other Disney movies have had. Um, but actually watching it, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. It kind of reminds me of, like, um, I don't know, like a little kid version of Overwatch or something where it's kind of got, like, the action and the costumes and the characters. And I could easily see this being kind of like a video game of some sort or it seems like the kind of property that would translate pretty well to other things, but it seemed to kind of just vaporize. So I don't know. I don't know, but I did enjoy it. I would recommend it to um, anybody out there who would be interested in that. And yeah, don't be, don't be fooled by the trailer. Cause it is, it is seriously not just about that kid and his robot. There's like a lot more to the movie than just that. So weird that they cut it that way. But anyway, um, the other movie that we watched was skyscraper starring Dwayne, the rock <laughs> Johnson or uncle Dwayne, as we like to call him here around these parts. Uh, have you seen that one? I have not, but I am becoming increasingly concerned that you are indeed the world's biggest The Rock fan. I, you know, I wouldn't have said that I was, <laughs> but I think we've seen literally like almost all of his movies. He's just so, he's so like affable and likable and, 
You know, he's like that kind of everyman. Like people say that he's like pleasantly um, indistinct as far as like nationality. Like, you know, you put an afro on him, he looks black. You like, you know, you take a shirt off, then he looks like he's Pacific Islander. Or you put him in a suit, he looks like maybe a white guy. Like he's in that little magic zone where he can play like any role and everybody likes him no matter what he does, right? Plus he's muscly, so you got to respect like a muscly dude. So he's got like the action star cred. Plus he like, he can be funny. Plus like kids like him and so... He can do like the family. I mean, he's like he's like the total package, dude. I mean, he can sing. He was in Moana, so he sang. I mean, what can the guy not do, right? I mean, he's like super talented. So uh, anyway, so we saw Skyscraper. This is the one which was basically like Die Hard, but with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, where he he plays like a security consultant brought in to evaluate the world's tallest building. <laughs> and he, you know, checks it out. And in this movie also, he has a he has a prosthetic leg his left leg has been blown off in an accident and so he's got this prosthetic leg and that actually factors into the movie like at several points uh but basically you know bad shit goes down guys want to fuck the building up they set fire to it his family's trapped in there he's got to get inside do a lot of like you know high wire stuff jumping clinging to things a lot of upper body strength (laughs) as he's pulling himself up off of various ledges i mean it plays out exactly like you think it would like i mean if you've seen die hard and you know who The Rock is. I mean, just put those two things together, and that's exactly what it is. But it was good. I mean, you know, it was it was a good popcorn movie. It was exactly what we wanted at the time. It was not any more, was not any less. But if you wanted to see The Rock get dirty and blow stuff up and hurt goons and to see stuff on fire, and, I mean, that's exactly what you got. And it was, it was good. I mean, it's not going to be a classic. I don't think I probably would ever watch it again. But we enjoyed the $3.99 or whatever that we spent on the rental. So it was it was worth it. I, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but this movie, I haven't seen it, but it also brought back Nev Campbell. Does she play his yeah, wife? Yeah, she plays his wife. And I thought it was actually pretty cool because in the movie, they are both, um, professionals. I mean, she's like the mom in the movie, but it's, she, they go out of their way to say that, oh, before becoming a mom, she was like special forces and she was military police or something, you know, like, like they give her some kind of like tough guy background. And in the movie, although she is definitely a mom and she is escaping from danger, she also kicks a pretty fair amount of ass. Like, (laughs) she gets a really good hit in and she fights dudes off and these guys are constantly, like, um, assessing her as just, like, the house mom and then she'll, like, break their fucking arm and throw them off the side. So (laughs) it was cool. Like, she was the mom, but she was kicking ass. And I thought it was really nice that they gave her more to do than just look scared. So that was actually pretty nice. And yeah. I, the first time I saw her, I was like, oh, my God, is that Nev Campbell? Who, what the <laughs> hell's going on? Is that her? And it was... Yeah, because she, she's, like, one of those actresses who I admire, but she, like, took – I feel like she made the Scream movies, those horror movies, and yeah, then she just, yeah, like, yeah. didn't do anything for 15 years. And, I mean, you know, it's her business. She probably made a fortune off those movies, and, you know, if she didn't want to act, she didn't have to or whatever. But I, she's just one of those actresses that I always, like, admired. And then I'm like, where did she go? Did she die? Is she living on an island by herself? Like, what happened? And then out of all the movies, for her to pop up in it's this one (laughs) it was really weird it was really weird um yeah and i gotta say yeah she was good in it though i really liked her it's good to see her back and one thing i thought was really interesting and notable uh was that so the rock has two kids in this movie and so the rock is the rock and nev campbell is, is his wife and they'd make a big deal about the rock being a good dad and he plays the dad role really well and i don't does he have kids in real life i think he probably does but anyway in the in the movie, uh, his kids are very, like, they're very ethnic looking. Like, they have, like, the really big, curly, like, Islander hair. They're kind of more brown than Nev Campbell is. And I thought that was a really cool directorial choice because they're not shying away from 
you know, uh, from having somebody who is not specifically white in the leading role, because they very easily could have picked two whitey white kids, and that would nobody would have blinked twice at that, because here's Nev Campbell who is white, but they instead chose to you know follow like the rocks like side of things, and they made them like really like kind of like Islander looking, which I thought was really awesome, like because they were two sweet kids, they were great actors, and it just opens up more roles and shows that not every not every role has to be a white person, and I just I I really like that they kind of leaned into that. I thought it was very good and bold and and right choice. I appreciate that very much. Excellent. Well, I can't wait until the rock makes another movie that seems like a carbon copy version of the last five movies, five movies he's made. And then you see it and sing its praises on the show next time. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'll be like, Oh man, I was in the mood for a popcorn movie and uncle Dwayne totally delivered. It was like another good one. It's all good. So, um, I don't have anything else for banter. Do you have anything else for banter? I know we have one more thing slotted, but I want to give you a chance to get anything else off your agenda. Um, I just want to say real quick, um, now that we're on the topic of movies and even as a segue, uh, women kicking ass in movies, um, for some, I don't really have to have a reason for this, but for some reason I had been wanting to see Wonder Woman again recently. And it's one of those movies that when I saw it in the theater, I loved it. And I like knew I was going to buy it at some point. Cause basically anytime I watch a movie, I immediately factor it into two um, two columns. It's the, I think I will watch this again column, or I will never watch this again column. That's sort of like a weird way of how I go into no, movies No, that makes perfect them. sense, and, dude. I think I do the same thing. Yeah, and so, like, Wonder Woman is one where I was like, okay, I know I'm going to watch this again at some point, and I had kind of been waiting for it to hit, like, an all-right price on Blu-ray because I figured I would buy it, and I was at Target a couple weekends. Actually, I think it was last weekend. Uh, oh, my God, Target. Here we go again. Um, yeah, see, sponsored I, by Target. <laughs> I was there and they had it on Blu-ray for 15 bucks. And I was like, $15, that is an A-OK price for a Blu-ray. Because usually when Blu-rays come out, they're like $22. Sometimes they're like $30. So I was like, all right, 15, I'm in. And I bought it. And I ended up waiting a week to watch it, not for any specific reason, but I watched it last night. And it was only my second time seeing it because the first time I saw it in theaters and then, uh, which was probably about a year ago and then, or maybe more, I can't remember exactly when it came out. But then I watched it last night and... Um, man, like upon second viewing, that movie kicks so much ass still. Like I love it. I, one thing I realized about it the second time around, and this is kind of like a nerdy movie, maybe even like photography minded thing to say is the way the movie is color graded, which color grading is like for people who don't know, it's, it's an after processing thing that people do with, it's mostly referred to with movies, but technically you can color grade photos too. Um, It basically tells what the color story of the film looks like because what you see in a movie is obviously not what it would look like in real life if you were looking at uh, the scene in real life. So when you color grade movies, you make them fit a certain palette for how you want the tone and the color story of the movie to go. Um, And God, the the color grading in the movie is just, it's like, I mean, I think it's great because it's to my taste, but it's very like cool toned and everything. It's kind of like everything that you think should be black in the movie actually has like a blue or green like undertone to it. And I just really appreciate how like cool and fresh it looks. Cause I feel like a lot of stuff is very warm color graded or it's very like orange or in your face and just the fact that the movie is like more muted and it's like bluish and greenish I really like that but that's kind of like a nerd thing but um but god Wonder Woman is so good like 
the whole there's the whole sequence in the middle where that's probably the most talked about stuff in the movie where she goes into no man's land and it's like the first time in the movie where she kind of like takes off her cool like uh, like fur coat and she's wearing her like Wonder Woman like battle armor onesie thing and like has her shield and her lasso and um, like when I saw that in the theater I cried because I thought it was just phenomenal and of course sitting in my living room last night watching it for the second time I like cried through the entire No Man's Land sequence and then there's like an action sequence there's like two action sequences that are almost directly after that where she like goes into this kind of, like, church-looking building, and she, like, fights a bunch of dudes. And yeah, yeah, it yeah. has, like... I mean, it's, like, say what you will about its overuse of, like, DC's cinematic, um, like, slow motion, because it has a lot of, like, cheesy slow motion in it. But I like that. Like, I... I appreciate slow-mo in movies because it lets me see what the fuck's going on. Like, I like whenever a movie will allow itself to take a breath and be like, hey, we're going to show you this, like, ridiculous but awesome, like fucking backflip where she's shooting a bow and arrow or something like in slow motion. I think that's really cool. Um, maybe that's like the inner 12 year old in me, but it, it kind of, um, it makes me roll my eyes a little bit whenever I hear people like talk about this stuff and say that it's like cheesy or that it's lame or it's boring. Cause I think it's cool. Like if, I mean, I, I like watching Robin Wright leap in the air after jumping off a shield and in slow motion and shoot three arrows at once into, uh, into these like, dude these like german dudes like yeah like i'll take that any day like that is incredible stuff and just like the whole sequence where wonder woman's fighting the dudes after the no man's land sequence it's just like oh god it's just so good and i i just adore so much about wonder woman and about how i mean yeah like it's you could argue that it kind of falls into the category of like oh, it seems like a feminist movie because it's like a chick kicking ass, which, of course, that's like my favorite brand uh, trademark of feminism is like chicks killing dudes in movies, which maybe is another like 12-year-old boy fantasy of mine. But, <laughs> um, but the thing that I like about Wonder Woman, too, is that she's like such a she's such a force for like positivity and love. Like it's not necessarily about like revenge or wanting to murder or like, you know, killing people. It's about like her trying to make the world a better place and trying to like stop the God of war and being raised and created to believe that, you know, like love and happiness and decency comes first. And like, maybe you have to get your hands dirty in order to achieve that. But just like the fact that she, can't bear to see human suffering around her and wants to like fight the battles that weaker people can't to like fight for love in the world. I just like, it's just really seems really refreshing to me. And I don't know, it just encompasses all of that stuff into one film. And I think it's just really a lovely movie. I love it. It was a great movie. I enjoyed it. We went to go see it in the theater. I thought we thought it was amazing. And it's basically the only DC movie in a long time that I thought was decent. Um, I know that DC is trying to get themselves in a place that Marvel occupies. But I, for my for my money, they have been totally unable to do that. But that was the one where I'm like, that is a dope movie. Like, I would, I would watch that again. I thought it was quite good when we saw it. I thought, you know, thumbs up all the way. So I, everything you said, I totally agree with. And DC needs to figure out why that movie worked and their other movies didn't. And maybe they would be onto something because so far they're they got a pretty piss poor batting average. But yeah, we are on the same page. Wonder Woman was fantastic. So good times. Good times. Now, um, last but certainly not least, uh, we do have a special guest joining us for banter this week. Uh, due to overwhelming listener requests, my son Whitaker <laughs> is coming back and he has a double shot of game reviews uh, for us here. 
I'm going to turn the microphone and the headphones over to him, Corey, and I will let you guys chat about the two games he's discussing this week. Sound good to you? Sounds like a plan. All right, I will turn it over to Witty right now. One second. Hello. Hey, how are you? Good. You have some games you want to review on the show this week? Yeah. I'm going to be reviewing Warface and Ark Survival. All right. I have not heard of Warface. Tell me about this. So Warface is a PS4... Is a... I guess it's kind of like a PS4 PvP plus co-op. And it's free to play? Yeah, free to play. And it has a bunch of missions you can do. You could choose from them and you could do other PvP missions, which are pretty hard. <laughs> now, you can get weapons um, that, that you eventually unlock. Mods, armor, other stuff like that. And, but unfortunately, one of the things is your weapons do sometimes, for some reason, inspire. Oh. Yeah, it's not fun. I had one of my weapons inspire, and I was like, no! <laughs> it was my favorite weapon, and it inspired. What kind of missions are you doing? Tell Corey about the missions. Because, you, like, you play, you play co-op with other people, right? Yeah. So I do co-op, plus I do PvP. The most PvP ones I do is, like, this capture, like, the capture the warhead. Where you have to capture this nuclearized warhead from the enemy team or defend it. Is this a, is it a first-person shooter? Yes. A first-person, okay, okay. first like, modern warfare army shooter. Gotcha. Okay. And tell them about like the zombies and stuff, all the different different missions you do. Oh, there's zombies in it. Uh, well, yeah, I guess it. They're kind of like cyborg zombies. They uh, swarm you in this one mission, um, where you go into the desert with like your with your three. I think it can be four, four other people. So like five people on your team. All right. So. Well, what do you like about it? What's good about it? The mission is good because you get so many kills out of it because there's a <laughs> lot of zombies. <laughs> and they're really fast. So it's, I recommend you use the shotgun. They can... You, the only way you can use other weapons is if you choose a different class. There are four classes. Engineer, Rifleman, Sniper, and Medic. Medics use shotguns. Riflemen use automatic rifles. Snipers use sniper rifles, and engineer and the engineers use submachine guns. I thought you were going to say engines. <laughs> um, there's an, also a tank mission. If you're familiar with Overwatch, then it's kind of like that, where you have to get the tank to where it needs to be, and you have to protect the tank. Okay. That, that game... If you start out on, like, the first mission, it can be pretty easy, but once you get to, like, the the special missions, when you unlock the engineer, you get these special, special missions, and when you do them, there's this one with a bunch of machine gun turrets, and it just keeps going for, like, 13 levels. Whoa. Yeah, it's a lot of levels. <laughs> and... Tell them about the other game. 
now we're on the Ark Survival. Now I'm guess now if some of the people listening have heard of it, then I don't think we're only an explanation, but we'll explain it anyway. Good, good choice. Um, so it's about you start, you wake up on a beach, not knowing why, with this weird with this weird diamond in your in your arm, and. You just kind of walk around, look for stuff. It has food. So what kind of a game is it? Well, it's a survival game. Okay. A PvP survival. But you can but you can choose the PvE. Okay. And so what you start what do you start with? You start with nothing. Well, you start with something. I think it's like a sparkle like a torch skin. It becomes like a sparkler. So you start so you start naked and with a sparkler? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like many parties. Well, with a sparkler skin, you need to get a torch to get to use the sparkler okay. skin. And then what do you do? And then from there, you just kind of walk around. If there are bushes, if you see this little hand thing, then you push Y and you can pick up berries and stuff like that. What do the berries do? Uh, the berries just keep you not from going hungry. They don't do much, which I recommend using meat. You'll probably encounter dinosaurs, other people that could be hostile, and for some reason, dodos. (laughs) Dinosaurs? I think you buried the lead on this one. What what did the dinosaurs do? Um, the dinosaurs are... The dinosaurs just kind of walk around. Some are... The worst ones are... Hang on. (laughs) The Dilophosaurus? The worst ones are the Dilophosaurus. They chase after you. And they will literally chase you across the map if they see you. So you just gotta keep running or kill them. So Winnie, this is basically like a tree puncher game, like Minecraft, right? You gotta like get resources, yeah. punch a tree, punch a yeah. rock, you punch got, other people. You got <laughs> yeah, you got punch trees, which hurts you, but it's the only way to get tr- it's the only way to get supplies without making a pickaxe, without not having a pickaxe. <laughs> Just like real life. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but, so t- it doesn't work, but it doesn't actually work that way. So, so tell Corey why you like this game. What is good about this game? Because Dad really dislikes this game. So yeah. why do you like this game? I think it's good because I don't like many survival challenges, but this specific one is pretty good. What kind of challenges do you do in it? Um, so the challenge is to just basically survive, level up, do stuff like that. Before, I couldn't, I couldn't find out how to pick up stuff. You just have to push Y on when you see this hand, and then you push Y on, you push Y and then you can pick stuff up, like rocks, berries, other stuff like that. And that's also how you search stuff. So say you kill someone, and they're laying on the ground, you can... You can op- you can push Y to see their inventory and like take their stuff that they had. So so tell Corey so you you had a problem finding meat because in this game it's really tough to survive. So what was your creative solution into finding meat? So my creative solution I was actually with someone who didn't want to kill me. They were like they were teaching me like they they were showing me somewhere they killed a Dilophosaurus and they showed me to hit it while it's dead to harvest the meat. Yeah, but where where else? What were your other sources of meat besides the dead dinosaurs? Where were you getting most of your meat? Um, I was getting most of my meat by killing people and mining them for their meat, so you turned, which is gross. You turned cannibal pretty quick, right? Yeah, I turned cannibal, but you know, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> Just like real life again. Uh, it's a little too close to home. All right, yeah. so wait, so so tell Corey. Why don't you tell Corey what 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 would you give these games? Like, what what score would you give both of these games? Maybe you can tell Corey what number you think. Like between one and ten. What do I think? So what about what about the first one that we talked about? Uh, Warface. Warface. Um, I don't know. 
know, I'd probably rate that maybe like a seven. A seven? Yeah, seven. Because the other numbers, the only reason I didn't give it a ten is because of my weapons disappear. Okay, so that's that's a that's a good criticism. What about mm-hmm. what about Ark Survival Evolved? What about that one? Uh, I'd actually give that a. Don't, don't say a ten because Dad's head's gonna seven explode. A, seven and a quarter. <laughs> seven point two five. Seven and a quarter. What's the point two five for? <laughs> for eating people? Just because you like it? The the quarter is it actually is pretty hard in the game, but once you get to the once you actually get stuff, make a fire and stuff, make make a house, do all that, it's actually pretty fun. Okay, so, so that quarter is having. Having actual fun instead of like scavenging for stuff every twenty four seven. Okay, a point two five just for funsies. I like it. That's the critic's prerogative. You can certainly do that. One more thing about Ark Survival. Okay, one more thing, and then we're gonna wrap it up. The best thing, the best thing for hunting is you can tame, you can tame, dinosaurs and creatures. Oh, the, can you do the do the dinosaurs hunt for you after you tame them? Yeah. You, you can tame them, you can ride them. Like, I saw oh. a person riding a parasaurolophus. office. That's crazy. <laughs> um, and how you tame them, like, the only thing I've tamed is, like, a dodo, and that was, like, a big thing so, for me. So, so tell Corey how you tame the dodo. What is the technique for dodo taming? How do you tame the dodo? <laughs> how you tame a dodo is literally all you do is knock it out. And then you take berries and you feed it to them. While it's then, unconscious? Yeah, and then once you give it to 100%, it become, then it tames and you get to name and you get to name your dodo. And then he kind of just wanders around with you. So you knock him unconscious, you stuff berries down his throat, and when he wakes up, he's your friend? Um, well, he's not totally unconscious. He's like, he just has, I don't know how it works, he just... Knock him out, give him berries, All right. and then he just kind of follows you so, around. So just like with a dog or a cat, kind of the same process. Or Not with, like, me as a human being. If you <laughs> put me to sleep and feed me, I will be your friend for All life. Right. Why, don't you, why don't you wrap it okay. up? Okay. All right. And dinosaurs are a little bit harder. That's Before, true. you could tame, like, the bosses, but now you can only tame, now you can only tame like, big dinosaurs and dodos and, dodos. and stuff. And the T-Rexes are the hardest to tame. All right. Well, thank you for coming back on the show, Witty. That was really fun. Corey, do you have any final questions for Witty? Uh, I was just going to say the dinosaur taming aspect sounds kind of like Far Cry Primal. Is it similar to that with taming wild animals in it? Uh, Yeah, it kind of does that. But instead of actually, I think you have to, can you tame predators? I'm pretty sure you can. Sure you can. But I think to start out with, you would start out with herbivores. Plus, the challenge is how do you even get close to it? How do you even get close to a T-Rex without it trying to munch you? (laughs) So that's still to be found. And I guess the herbivores are probably the best. You take plants and stuff. Sure. And you find, like, a dinosaur, like like a parasaurial office. Uh, triceratops, stuff like that, and you just feed them, and then it goes up to 100%, and then you can take There you them. go. So that's what you do. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for coming back on the show, Woody. I know people were really excited about having you do another game review. Uh, Corey, uh, thank you for uh, giving the space here at our banter section to have my son come back on. This has been really fun. Yeah. Of course. It's, it's a pleasure. All right, great. So why don't you say uh, thanks to everybody who wanted you to come back, and see you next time. All right. 
well, that was fun. And I gotta go now, apparently. And, <laughs> and Brad has to take over again. Brad, what? Don't call me Brad. Get out of here. It's <laughs> a podcast. It's all business. All right, say all bye. All right. Say bye. Bye. Bye, Witty. Bye. That was funny. You're funny. <laughs> all right. I, I can only I can only hear you talking some of the time. I was trying to guide it in a in a good direction. Hopefully that went okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that was good. All right, cool. I think uh, that's all I got. Unless you got anything, we should probably wrap it up and start talking about some games. Yeah, we can talk about games. Let's talk about games. <laughs> <laughs>